What's up, everybody? We are live, and joining me today is Mr. Moose Harris, and it is a pleasure to have you here today, sir. Um, so yeah, uh, welcome to Bridge the Gap. My name is Holden Stefan Roy. A fair bit of a uh, warning: it is as hot in Montreal as it is in Louisiana today, and that is very hot for Montreal. I double checked. No, I double checked it. It was well. It's exactly the same temperature in Montreal as it is in New Orleans. So I was like, uh, "There's a big humidity difference." I think now that make you change your body. Now, uh, I don't know if you ever lived on our island, man. It's pretty bad, dude. Like dripping and sweat. Yeah. We, we uh, <laughs> so that's I'm like, "Yo, it's hot up in here, and it's hot down over there." So it's it's. Uh, I felt like we could relate over that for a quick minute. Right. Right. The show is called Bridge the Gap. Uh, basically, what we do is we walk through the lives of people such as yourself and uh, learn about you and then extract knowledge nuggets from your journey for the whole world to, to kind of learn collectively. Um, so with that, uh, I do have a bit of like an opening question, but for it to all be proper, can you let us know where you were born? I'm originally from New Iberia, Louisiana. That is South Louisiana two hours west of New Orleans in the midst of Cajun country or Acadiana, um, 20 miles southeast of Lafayette, Louisiana. That's going to make my first question, and it is for me, super duper exciting. And it is a little bit of a story. Uh, when it lands, we're going to get into it. In your case, I'm going to be we really going to get into it. Uh, so it mm -hmm. starts with my girlfriend, and she's washing the dishes. And she's got her phone open and she's playing that Black Eyed Peas song. Like, I got a feeling. Ooh. She's, <laughs> yeah. she's dancing to it. She's doing her thing. And I was thinking about this song in particular. And I'm like, yo, it's, it's, it's super crazy to me how this song is now like dishes music. And it's exercise music. And it's like <laughs> chores music. But if yeah, I really yeah. think about the same song in our lives like 10 years ago. It's club music. It's that stuff we all drinking and getting all turned up to and having our wild nights to at the same time. So with that, it made me realize that this same song has moved in time and it's like rolling all of our lives kind of evolved with it, right? So we all go back to the same song and it used to yeah. be a club song and now it's like a chores and an exercise song. And that got me thinking about the Cardi B's and all that. And how you're going to be picturing this future generation of moms who are currently dancing oh, yeah. in the club doing dishes to Cardi B and stuff. And then I found out, nah, they're currently <laughs> doing the dishes. Everybody just jumped on that shit with Spotify. So it's currently dishes music. And I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> but with that, you can see how like the same song can be attached to so many different vibes and environments. And for different people, it plays so many different mm -hmm. like roles and stuff. And then I, yeah. I realized, so songs kind of have musical journeys, and we as musical people have musical journeys. So uh, when we often have these conversations, we tend to start somewhere in that adolescent range when we develop our own identities, and we kind of attach ourselves to stuff that we care about. And that makes sense. But really, that's not where our musical journeys start at all. They kind of start from like the day we're born. Because there's yeah. always going to be music around us and just different things, whether it's parents, neighbors, siblings, environments, right. et cetera, et cetera. All these things kind of impact 
the the overall soundscape of it like i can't remember being like three four years old my dad's got these gray boxes the amp and the radio and the this and the that and they were all attached to each other take him like an hour to set the shit up if we moved and mm-hmm. like uh then he would like bust the tapes and crank the speakers with the led zeppelin and at night it was the 90s dance music and my mom was into like disco and musicals and stuff it wasn't my favorite but she did it and then the cars mm-hmm. had its own vibes and all of these different things and these different environments and just the fact that there were tape decks and dub is you know there's different things that existed created like this area of life for me before i had any control over the music and stuff so i was hoping you could take us back to the youngest moose harris that you could remember and walk us through what it sounded like to be you and the technologies and the existence growing up in the middle of nowhere louisiana with as much <laughs> detail because even the context of what it's like to be young there you got i'm in montreal you know, we all up here. Like, we don't know anything except for that one book or that one movie we saw. So the most detail right. you can give, that's blessed. Right. Got you. Well, in reference, in reference towards uh, South Louisiana, first of all, I'm an old soul. You know, so I'm, I'm definitely an 80s baby. I'm born in 1980. So mm. the time period that I'm thinking about in reference towards Louisiana is definitely pre-internet. And in most cases, it's actually also pre-computer, you know. So... The music that I pay attention to today is mostly rooted in things that I first discovered and learned as a child. Not to say that that modern music today doesn't have a place within my heart. Obviously, you know, from time periods of being an adult college time period onward, they definitely have them. But it's something about that music that you first discover when you're a kid. And in reference towards me growing up in the 80s in South Louisiana, it was, it was a combination of things. There was a heavy R&B influence, um, a heavy Motown, Stax records. And and I guess the more modern sounds is, is a thing that I like to call Jerry Curl Funk. That's that type of R&B that came out roughly between, say, 1978 and, and 1987. You know what I'm saying? So that, that when Quincy Jones dominated the, the production and the arrangements of things, you know what I'm saying? So... Um, it really was those type of things. I mean, we're talking about like Quincy Jones, the dude. I have an aunt that loves to tell the story all the time about, about one of the first albums me and her listened to as a child. I'm probably about two years old at the time. It's like Quincy Jones, the dude. Um, I remember the first time my dad bought me a stereo system in like August of 89. And the first album that we played, it was one of those double cassette decks with the album on top type of situation. And the first album that he played on that was Funkadelic's One Nation Under Groove. And from that moment on, that song has been my theme song for life here on. All right, so, you know, so, so that's, so that's okay, 89, we're going a little too far ahead. We got to go back in oh, time oh, still. Well, see, you got well, to hmm. realize, you got to realize how everything, how everything hmm. connects. Because even though for me, the first time for it was 1989, that's an album that came out in 78. Facts. So the ties towards my people in reference towards even having that album within their collection all that time as growing up. Now, when it got directly exposed to me and attached to me was actually later on, mm-hmm. but those were the records that they were spinning all throughout the 80s. Okay. And they're, you know, I just personalized it for myself by the time the end of that age mm-hmm. with that particular song. But, you know, yeah, to, to, to fully answer your question, we're probably going all the way back to like Michael Jackson's Off the Wall Quincy Jones, the dude, um, Rick James' first album, 
and, and things like that. There's also other elements because of South Louisiana being the way it is, has its own specific genre. So like Zydeco music, for example. Can you clarify you know, uh, what South Louisiana being the way it is means to uh, somebody like me? <laughs> well, South Louisiana is, is a very European-esque type of area, you know, in that the state of Louisiana itself lawfully goes on the Napoleonic Code, what may have you, which is totally different from any other place. Any other states in the United States have counties. We have parishes. You know, oh, we got parishes you know, up here. Yeah, so you see what I'm saying? So we're more, we're more in sense connected to some European elements. And then further, if you go further east towards New Orleans or what may have you, you'll get even more European. I mean, New Orleans looks like any city that you would go see in Europe, and I've seen it. You know, so um, it's just, it's a combination of that, of that European S uh, foundation with uh, a very Northern Caribbean vibe. And, and that would be the combination of things for South Louisiana in a nutshell, all below I-10, you know what I mean? That's a super great explanation. I mean that for real. Like for us, the show's called Bridge the Gap. You bridging gaps. Mm -hmm. What's super nifty is that you described it as a pre-internet 80s, early 80s situation. So if we go back to you being like real young, like how are, like how involved are you in the listening to music at this point? Or is it just like always around you? Is music like a big part of the community? Well, it, 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 this area for itself, music is definitely a big part. Um, for myself personally, it's, it's a big part, not only from the standpoint of just listening to people, but I'm involved in it from a, a platform standpoint. You know, I have my radio shows, Urban Flow Stars, that I've been doing for the last 10 years. So I want people to send me things to to listen to and, and turn around and spin on my show, what may have you, whenever I'm broadcasting. You know, so outside of that, you know, I definitely love adding to my streams playlists and things and reference towards. I got specific playlists I do on Spotify and reference towards music that I may hear, regardless of wherever it comes from. And I add it to a certain playlist, like 20 songs at a time, you know, and they may be songs I may end up playing on my radio show. They may be songs I have played on my radio show. They may be songs I may not play on my radio show at all, but they're all going to be within that playlist because it represents that, that time frame in reference to where all those songs, whether it's something new or even something old school that I may not know of before, you know, captured my attention to be in that specific playlist. So I guess between those two ends of the spectrum, that's probably the, the easiest way that I pay attention to music and how it comes back towards me these days. Mm. Well, we're going to get to you these days. I'm super fucking chronologically linear with my stuff because it's the best way to get <laughs> the best stories out of you and get your memory jogged up. So by the time we're in your adolescence, you're already warmed up a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but it's also like, because it's like, this is like at the time where hip hop's cracking in New York. I don't know that. Mm -hmm. it, I don't know if it's cracking in, in Louisiana the same way. Like, I assume there's a degree of some kind of crossover that's going on. But um with all of that are you i just have a few more little questions to ask because people yeah. drop the dopest anecdotes at this part were you into like dancing when you were young is you, you guys are a lot of dancing up in your world um dance is a very important part of the culture out here you know because we have we have a very festival vibe mindset you know 
stereotypically everybody knows about Mardi Gras down here in Louisiana and they may think of New Orleans or what may have you, but but really we're a heavy festival minded in the non pandemic year, you know, you can get through hundreds of festivals in South Louisiana and go to a dancing and music is a, is a big part of that. So while I never did any per se organized dancing or what may have you, I can never say I was a b-boy or anything like that. You know, dancing was just a, a natural part just to have fun and, and socialize with people, what may have you. Um, yeah, I, I, I still dance around on stage now. So he'll always be, that'll always be a, an aspect and a part of the situation, you know? That's a good answer, too. I like how you bring it back to your community as well. Um, last one is just because, you know, there's the graph element. So I ask people if they draw, if they're into drawing at all. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So if you were young, were you a drawer? Do you, is that something that was in your skill set purview? I mean, I mean, as far as as far as the, the arts are concerned, I've always dabbled in, in different aspects of the arts. Music came out being the main thing, but... You know, when it comes to like photography or 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 even drawing, I'm not I'm not the best drawer. I'm a, I'm a much better tracer than a drawer, you know. But that doesn't mean that I wouldn't try to sketch out some sort of ideas or something, or it be you know I'm a I'm a big Bob Ross stand, so I can watch him draw stuff in 30 minutes all day long and be great <laughs> with watching it. So um, that's an amazing answer that you said that. And just to say, what's hey. up, everybody in the Twitch chat? I haven't been ignoring you, but there's a bunch of people. Here. <laughs> so, like, Willie's there, Willie Scandals, Golden Jenny from Norway, Lindell's there. So, shout out, everybody. What's going on, all y'all? What's oh, going on? We also just got a love Bob Ross comment. No, I knew when he said Bob Ross, somebody was going to comment on that. That guy's. Oh, yeah, man, man, Bob Ross, Bob Ross, and PBS. That, that whole vibe of things is those types of vibes that kind of go into the way that I interact and. I guess in a sense the way my music is. So going back to your question, you know, I was never like a, an artist drawer per se. I was never into graffiti, but I mean, I guess I did, you know, childhood imitations of, you know, what a potential logo for myself would look like, or trying to find somebody to actually do that for me. Mm -hmm. I was more into, I was more into video cameras. If it wasn't doing music, I wanted to be the black Steven Spielberg. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I wanted to be at the cameras and photography and things of that nature. So I guess that was more so my artist representation versus actually, you know, doing graffiti or, or drawing or what may have you. Yeah, that's still a really cool answer. I like the fact that you brought it to video. I should ask people about video more. Um, or at least they're interested in movies because that can lead to video. Um, I mean, man. I'm first generation MTV, so the music video yeah. and that animated concept is is real deeply important to me. I so mean, that's, like, that's why I thought me is still top five greatest video of all time, still to this day. You know one? what I'm saying? Which is the top five? Aha, uh -huh, take the one with a where oh, three fourths okay. of it sketched out in the comic. Yeah, classic yeah, shit, man. That's a good video. It really is. Um, but you, so you're saying you were like the first like young person generation like to actually grow up with MTV being on TV. I am I am technically older than MTV by about a year. So yeah, <laughs> I got here before MTV. <laughs> like 
so, so that's crazy so your whole life like was, was like mtv like huge in your community like just like as a young person was like y'all would be at school talking about music videos and shit or was it more like yeah. the radio yeah literally literally there were times like like if you hear quote unquote old folks talk about the first time they saw michael jackson moonwalk on that motown 25 special back in like what was that 1983 or some shit like that you know where mm. i would i was just mentally old enough at like three, four years old to to say, visually, that's probably one of the earliest memories I remember as far as how important visual performance and music videos and stuff like that was for people, you know, in the 80s. Because it was, it was, I mean, you got to think about it. There was no on-demand, you know, even, even a, a, a thing <laughs> like the in the 90s, we're still talking about a decade away before any type of on-demand type song. So whatever videos they wanted to play, that's the ones you paid attention to. So if somebody came out with something new, what may have you, it's going to be talked about. That's why That's why it seems like so many artists from the 80s, per se, more a bigger part of the potential scandals that they might have gotten into, shout out to Willie, was more so within their music versus say outside of their music because they created those scandals and those tabloids or what may have your part. A stronger part of that was actually within the music versus, you know, who they were dating or mm. or who they were seeing out in the town. Now, that's not to say none of that wasn't happening too, but you know, that's just how important that the actual thing of MTV and music video, and this is all before MTV was actually playing any type of shows. Like this is literally, the MTV shows were various shows of playing music videos and not no Man, reality. Like when, and, when I'm growing up, dude, first of all, I have much music, which is Canadian uh, MTV, which is cool-ish. Yeah. But, yeah. but it's like all kinds of shit, right? You had to like plan out your day to catch the hour or half hour here or there where the music videos would actually be. Yeah, yeah man, that, that's basically what it is. And, and see down here, as as the eighties went along, you know, this is also the beginnings of like BET and VH1 and what may have you who all generally I mean, think about it. I don't know how much you know about BET today, but but BET used to be a whole lot closer towards being like a early eighties MTV versus what it is now, you know, like for for everything like for a yo MTV raps. You know, you had like a video soul with BET, you know, um, long before 106 in part. You know what I mean? So that's, it just, you know, had just enough variety. And you got to remember something like Soul Train was still existing. And Soul Train is the absolute classic for Saturday mornings at noon. You know what I mean? So, uh, shoot, I was just I doing it. Actually, at one time in my life, consider that Soul Train was around in the 80s. And that was a thing. Man, Soul Train, Soul Train was officially, Soul Train was officially around until like 2002, technically, bruh. <laughs> From like 1970 s to like 2002 you know okay. even though the real soul train era is like from the late 70s through the 80s but you know that's just me no that's <laughs> fair um i mean like i said uh canadian content in that era isn't the same as it is now there used to Better be like, that, phone, like but... delay of culture and everything too so like it, it wasn't like we got everything uh, i mean to be fair 2002 2003 like fine we're catching up the internet's kind of bridging that gap but, but like unless i had the channel it wasn't happening in my life 
let me give you, but let me give you something on the other end from back in the day where that you may not know how much Canadian television influenced America in the 1980s. Sorry. I don't know how much you I have about zero that. idea because nobody talks so, about this. So, so, so let me so let me break this down to you as much because this is another aspect that I really love growing up in reference towards it. So you know about the, the TV channel Nickelodeon now, right? Yeah. Everybody knows Nickelodeon's been around for like 40 years, but man. But without getting into the into the intimate details, because I don't want to seem like I'm an expert on the shit, but I, I happen <laughs> to know some of it. We talking about that some of the foundational core elements of of the TV network Nickelodeon were founded on Canadian television. The show you can't do that on television was a Canadian TV show beginning in like 78 or 79 or something like that before they flipped it over towards, God dang it, towards Nickelodeon, uh, Nickelodeon today. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, I'm gonna make sure my battery don't go dead on us. Hopefully it don't. Um, yeah, man. Most of the most of the early '80s shows that Nickelodeon showed was like Canadian TV stuff, like Pinwheel and Today's Special. I think was Canadian too, and uh, you can't do that on television. Shoot, I think I think even a first little talk show. I think it was called like what Livewire, something like that, was Canadian. So yeah, y'all. And since everybody knows what Nickelodeon is today, and since everybody knows what Slime is, and Slime was originated on You Can't Do That on Television, and You Can't Do That on Television was originally Canadian. That's big. Man, y'all done hooked some people up over the years, bro. I'm just saying. <laughs> I like it. No, I'm with it. I mean, I'm always down to point out things Canada has done. Uh, Drake has helped our life. And it's what it is. Drake legitimized us. Drake is like y'all second coming of Nickelodeon. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of what it is. I swear, like, people used to kind of goof on the idea of Canadian hip-hop. But there was a day one time where the number one, two, three on Billboard were Drake, Weekend, and Bieber. And I think that is my favorite day in Billboard history. Because, like, <laughs> fuck it. That was the day Canada had the top three. And it happened one time. That's it. You need to look. So you need to look to see if there was any time that, like, let's say, like Brian Adams or Landis Morissette and somebody else was up there. So nah, it never it. happened where the one, two, and three were all Canadians before. Right. First time in history, and it was those three who nobody fucking here likes, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> but like, big ups to them, eh? Because like, we legitimate now. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all all in. So um, basically, at like nine years old, you get this uh, tape deck vinyl player and this and you get your first access to like listening to your own music and it's mm -hmm. 1989 ish i'm going to assume so mm -hmm. that means a few questions how do you actually are you dubbing how do you get your music what is the way that like a nine-year-old you gets access to music well uh the two main ways was was either through what the parents were listening to either on album or cassette and maybe even a couple of small cases on eight track still and and whatever was coming out on the radio you know so um in my area lafayette is the big city quote unquote in reference to south louisiana and quote unquote by big city because i don't remember how big montreal is but lafayette today is only about 120,000 people shit you know, my New neighborhood is bigger is, huh my 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 neighborhood is 150,000 people 
Now, you understand what I'm trying to tell you. You know what I'm saying? This is a small town South Louisiana in comparison to what you may be used to. I mean, hell, even New Orleans is small town compared to what you're used to. But, you know, and New Iberia itself is probably about, what, 30, 35,000 maybe? So Lafayette Radio was the big hub of the area, and and they played just a whole bunch of, um, they played some hip-hop here and there. It was, I mean, it was R&B-based. You know, it, it was Zydeco music. Zydeco is South Louisiana local R&B with accordions instead of, with more accordions than guitars. You know, um, that that was really the, the ways for it to go. It was either the, my parents were into during that time period. Do you remember those, those Time Life Sounds of the 70s cassette collections yes. that used to be sold back in the day? Yeah, my parents well, were into that shit. My parents got all of them roughly in between like 1958 and 1975. So in actuality, while N.W.A. and The Chronic was hitting off in reference to his hip hop, while the first hip hop album I listened to was The Chronic all the way through, but I was more of a Motown head. I'm more of an old soul. So those Time Life albums and and all those things of like Tina Turner and Bobby Blue Bland and Marvin Gaye and Cameo and Slide the family you stone, the first Bob person to say Rick cameo, Bang. and I respect that. Oh yeah, that that's but see, while most of the people my age were probably you know learning about you know, De La Soul and N.W.A. and Dr. Dre and Snoop Doggy Dog at the time, and, and uh, you and, know, okay, and, I, I would go with most of them were not learning about hip hop until like teenage years. Most of them actually have their own version of cameo and it's usually like locally rooted music or like if they're in Canada, you'll hear tragically hip and this, that, you know, if they're in mm -hmm. like New York, you'll hear whatever region of New York they're in's local sounds. So yeah. I'd say the nineties kids I, are more like what you're describing. Like the ones who were teenagers in the nineties, not well, so. I mean, I guess, I guess I'm looking at it slightly different because you know, I'm I'm the type of person who, and I'm not saying it's special or anything like that, but I discovered music at a certain time point in the 80s. And realistically for me, for that given artist, I went, at that point I discovered them and then went backwards in reference towards what their career is. So let's say we do bring up Cameo, what may have you as an example. I'm out there called them at, at Sea Strange which was right before they hit off with like Word Up and Candy and, mm -hmm. and their 80s stuff that, that everybody still dances to in the clubs and on Bourbon Street on a weeknight, <laughs> you know, when the DJ spinning stuff at three o'clock in the morning. But for me, I found them at She's Strange and then I went backwards to like their funk band era versus their 80s R&B era of things. And that's actually kind of two totally different things. You know, Stevie Wonder, I caught at Hotter Than July was the first Stevie Wonder album that I honestly knew of. But instead of me going, following him through the 80s, that's when I had to go back all the way to Little Stevie Wonder and Fingertips Part 2 and find out how this, you know, 11-year-old guy is still holding it down at like 40-something, whatever he was at the time, age-wise. You know what I'm saying? So for me, um, the genre of hip hop, the genre of rap existed. I knew it existed. I listened to it to to a degree, but I was more of a guy that caught like the R and B and the funk and 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 more of the urban contemporary sounds and pinpointed artists. And then 
by the stroke of light, the way things were being played on the radio, what my parents had, what relatives had in their collections, ended up going backwards and learning more about, like, you know, I consider myself a Motown so, historian. I'll give it right to you. Now. In the regards mm-hmm. of that part, you are very correct yeah. that uh, not many people I've talked to, like, hit the 78 album and decide, fuck that, I'm going to the 50s. That that's not something I kind of rely. That's that's. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, I. But I just don't know that I talked to anyone old enough to really be discovering hip hop before the nineties. Just to well, see, that's that's just it. I'm 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 an old soul on so many levels because I may talk to you about music from like the sixties and the seventies and and maybe some jazz things from the forties, but at the same time, I'm old enough to actually say that one of the first hip-hop albums mm-hmm. I listened to when it was brand new was Licensed to Ill. You know, I know about the Beastie Boys then. I know about Run DMC's first album. I virtually was was there. I wasn't in New York, but I was old enough to be able to hear it played on the radio, be able to see those original music videos. I remember when Run DMC and Aerosmith came together for Walk This Way. That was a brand new video to me, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? So everything yeah, coming over the 80s. So that's cool interesting that the Beastie right Boys... Now. Because like something I was thinking about even when we started talking about this is unlike most of the people I've talked about, like you're not in Cali, you're not in New York, you're not in you're in you're in Lafayette land, I think that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I imagine that unlike a lot of these other people, you're kind of more in a Montreal reality where only certain things are coming your way as opposed to everything. I could say that, but I think that's like, I think that's a little extra. And once again, it goes back to like the cultural difference here versus most of the country, if not other places in the world. Because yeah, that, that what you call a Montreal reality is true from standpoint of whatever was coming through on the radio was, was coming in. And there may have had few, few parts of return towards the radio. Cause like in LA and New York, they're going to play whatever they're receiving, but they also have an underground directly there in New York and L.A. that's contributing to what's ended up being played late at night back in the 80s and the 90s, what may have you. Here, we didn't necessarily have that with hip-hop. We didn't necessarily have that with rap, but we had that with R&B. We had that with Zydeco. We had that with jazz elements. We had that with, with swing-out music. We had that with Southern soul music. So... Mm. Those times in New York and L.A. where the hip hop might have been fitted in to go around the Michael Jackson stuff and the Prince stuff and the and the, the R&B stuff. Well, down here was getting filled in with with Boosum Shavers and Rock and Doopsie and and um, and T and Johnny Taylor and you know all those other subgenres of things that are kind of unique to not only the South, but even more specifically South Louisiana versus like how hip hop was growing in the bigger cities elsewhere. You know. So y'all just had your own version of a cultural wave that was just your own. Oh, yeah. yeah That's still fucking nifty, the- my guy. I never thought about it like that one time because I, I spent so much time thinking about hip-hop that sometimes you get kind of tunnel-visioned away from the fact that pretty much every musical genre will probably have a cultural wave that gets attached to it in some way or another, especially if I've heard of it. Up in my I head. mean, I mean, most of most of the genres... Of music in North America, most of them, not all of them, were originated in the American South in some way, shape, or form. You know, even with hip hop that originated in New York, but the people who originated it hip hop wise were Jamaicans, mm. you know, which was basically from the same Caribbean area as per se 
New Orleans. New Orleans ain't nothing but the North Caribbean if you actually step back and look at it. So, you know, some of those calculations of what may have you. The whole thing about jazz before jazz got big in New York and Chicago and L.A. and stuff, it had to start in New Orleans and Mobile and Jackson, Mississippi and Shreveport and Baton Rouge so on and so forth you know a good percentage of the r&b motherfuckers was listening to in the 1960s wasn't just motown and stacks it was it was swamp pop coming from baton rouge and shreveport and and the chitlin circuit you know the chitlin circuit is where i'm from <laughs> you know what i'm saying all those places are places i could name those cities i've lived in some of them i've played in some of them you know so like the roots of like north american musical culture while it might, you know, most of the country in a sense might have moved on from it towards other stuff as time goes on. Several of those pockets stayed down here, man, and that's what made up most of our music makeup when things like hip hop, sorry, when things like hip hop was just being invented. You know, that's the way we filled in our blanks or it was filled in for us, I should say. That is one of those really, really fucking cool answers that I don't get like that often because it shows me like one of those things where I'm so northern centric. That's a good way to put it. There's like there's the west coast, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Cali. There's the whole east coast. Cause let's be real, Montreal, we're on the same kind of like general area, you know, yeah. And then everything else is a blur. And as you're like <laughs> describing this, it's like, damn, eh? There really is such parallels that are going to be in other cities and other cultures that even would influence. Like, so I guess bringing it back to you. So like you're do you know you want to create music at like nine or is this something that comes like and then and i knew i wanted to create music at like three <laughs> you know um the one thing i always say and i've said this in plenty of the interviews and it's probably somewhere in my bio what may have is that in the 80s when when most of my friends and most of the kids i knew were playing with with action figures and had video game consoles and nintendo or what may have you well my favorite things to play with was was a cassette recorder and or karaoke machine because I can record myself on a microphone into a cassette that I can turn around and listen to later. So it's funny and like, ironic. How young were you? Huh? How young were you? The first time I got my hand, the first time I received a cassette recorder from a relative of mine, I was probably about four or five. Damn. So you've been recording your own vocals, DIY yeah. style, like I do today and advocate to the world since time. Yeah. Yeah, we're probably yeah we're probably talking about since like yeah like 1985 would be yeah because yeah it would be that around that time period the first time would be about 1985 86 and then that stereo i was talking about earlier came in 89 that had a dual cassette and a microphone jack into it so yeah shoot my, shoot, my first that would let you take like a beat on one tape and the mic jack in and record to like a second thing no yeah but see i wasn't in i wasn't necessarily into it from from that standpoint because once again small towns so are not necessarily knowing the concept of how a studio technique works you know what i'm mm. saying i was looking at it more it was easier for me to think of it from a radio standpoint versus a studio standpoint reference to stuff so i know if i'm gonna if i'm gonna put a cassette on the record side and it's gonna record stuff for me well i'm gonna record my stuff 
I'm recording myself talking about some of this stuff, and then I'm gonna play these songs or what may have you. Then come back and recap it like I actually hear on the radio, and maybe throw in some sports stuff because somebody's playing some video games or electric football, actually real football in the streets somewhere along on the cassette, and what may have you. And eventually, I'm gonna have this this 90 minute version of of cassetting that gives you a little bit of music, that gives you some sports, that gives you some news, and just give you life as a kid down to stop Louisiana. I'm gonna play that bitch over and over and over again. That really was the mindset versus oh i'm a you know i'm a drop bars or necessarily sing now that doesn't mean i didn't record myself singing stuff because i'm more of a singer actually than than a rhymer actually you know i'm i started off singing more so than, than actually rhyming that came later for me but that doesn't mean i didn't you know so that's that's, that's great that you said that first of all <laughs> how fucking cool is it that you was like six years old creating i, I let's just be real, producing 90 minute radio segments my guy you're an og podcaster <laughs> Duh. Like, if sometimes sometimes i look back and and i'm gonna throw this quick story out because because it's the, it's the one down thing in reference to us what we're talking about when i was 20 and in college in new orleans and i was working in the french quarter long story short somebody broke into the van i had and stole a bunch of stuff of which were cassette tapes from the time period we're talking about right now, because I kept those cassette tapes that long in my life. Okay, so that being the one down thing towards it, glossing off of what you're saying, yeah, could you imagine me still having those cassettes today and being and having them, or even one step further, having the ability of something like YouTube, say, in like 1993? No, but can you, <laughs> okay, let's go back to you having it today. You could just make a whole show like the Chronicles yeah. of Moose Harris. Let's just watch some shit I produced when I was six. Ah. It would be no problem, bro. I begged my parents for a video camera since I was like seven years old for, I didn't know it was gonna be for stuff like this, but <laughs> this is stuff I was always interested in, you know? Nah, I really appreciate that you're sharing all this. Um, One of those things that I find really handy listening to people's stories is just the humility and seeing how much experience people have and sometimes people enter into certain forays and they don't always have the perspective of how much experience their peers have. So, right. And then you're like running decades deep. Your whole perspective on shit's going to be different than other people who maybe four or five years deep and all kinds of things like that. So just hearing that, like, as a young one, you're already learning about timing and placement and, and production and this. And, like, that's that's like a crazy whole, like reality of practice and then you do radio later on in life so it's like like just if like i'm gonna have kids even it's like yo i gotta watch for the kids doing shit like that so i can foster the right fucking habits and shit you know what i mean like yeah. you're absolutely right but like like i guess if you know everybody has those forms of what ifs you know what i'm saying what if what if they lived in a different time period or or what if, you know, something like that. The what if, one of the small what ifs for me was, what if I had actually grown up in New Orleans instead of two hours west of New Orleans? You know, I went to college in New Orleans, so I have an idea of what it was like then. So all I gotta do is think about what it might've been like, what, 10 years earlier for somebody like me to have been in a city that actually had a legitimate musical culture and wasn't just, you know, another country town. I have nothing against my hometown. Love New Iberia. That's why I still try to do things, you know, when I can with my stuff. But, you know, it's just a matter of two. I don't know. I don't know what significant places. It's two hours 
no, east, west. You don't even have south to. East. I am English in Quebec. I just have to be here and with my language and we good. I relate. Gotcha. So <laughs> I guess that'd be like one of the what ifs I, I would have because, yeah, I mean, that's what I was. I've always been interested in in business and forms of, of artistic humanities, man. Like, like one of the things I say today is that I have a bad habit of trying to make money with my friends. And usually those attempts is something to do with the arts. <laughs> so it's always been like that. I mean, I think that's a cool idea that your big problem is that you and your buddies team up to try to make money off of art. That sounds like a dope life. Like a good I mean, life. Hey, I can't help it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's my cross to bear. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I appreciate it. I think about how to make money off of art all the time. I'm just trying to think about like how to do it in this day and age. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole mind game to play, but I think it's about lifestyles. That's my conclusion. Yeah. Sell a lifestyle and you're good. And then that's it. As a human, you just need to figure out how to <laughs> take your brand and make it a lifestyle that people can empathize yeah. with. That's 2021 branding advice from me. But let's go back to you at like 10. So you're like producing oh. radio shows. You have access to all this gear. Um, as you like move into like high school and stuff, is there like any kind of desire to get more involved in the arts? You start writing, like tell us a bit about the evolution. The, the aspect of writing is, I, I guess within all this, I was kind of, I was kind of a mixed up kid in that I was doing all these behind the scenes musical stuff for fun. I.e., you know, a radio station on cassette tapes and and wanting to record other people, like like getting friends to sing songs just to record them, you know, that type of thing. But but realistically, I also want to be more so stereotypically the person in front of the microphone too. So the writing aspect and the making my own original music or what may have you was 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 pretty part of the equation by the time period we're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, we probably have to go a little bit further a few years for when the official switchover happened into, yeah. into for the artistry again. But yeah, it's, 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 if we're talking about by, by 10, yeah, I can say there's been a, there's been a couple of, there've been a couple of band name ideas, trying to talk friends into doing it. And, um, yeah, singing group ideas by then. You know, I had a little brother, so so we had a a, a brother routine from from that time period as well. You know, so so yeah, that that whole approach reference towards wanting to be in a group, wanting to be in a band, wanting to actually write music and create music and and bang on buckets or what may have you. And yeah, that that's always been a part of the equation from the jump. Mm. So, okay, so as you're moving into, like, this period, I don't know if anything's super significant. Are you, like, performing at, like, variety shows or are there, like, extracurriculars in your neighborhood that you nah, have a I mean, the, showcase? The main, the main opportunities I had was, was uh, singing in church and, and school-related things. So if we're talking about elementary time, the, the church performances started at, like, age three being in the, you know, the Sunshine Choir what may have you um first piano lessons was at like six that lasted for a little while and my first other instrument would have been about 
where we were about like sixth grade would have been like when the saxophone got placed in my hand. So um, it, those were the opportunities, whether it was like marching band or a concert band in, in sixth grade, going into seventh and eighth grade, or just actually singing in the church choir and what they have, you know? I mean, I spend a lot of time doing my own variety shows in my room. I tell you that much. I got a lot of those that came out of years. But as far as like performing in public, no, nah, it was it was either really school related or church related till till damn near college. All right. So, what made you make your transition into I'm gonna start making my own music? Um. It was always a part, it was it was going to college really, that the transition, because when I went to college to study music, I went to the University of New Orleans to study uh, jazz and classical music um, back in the late 90s. Like I said, I'm kind of old, I'm a slick. Um, so that's also when, you know, the Louisiana hip hop sound from the late 90s into the early 2000s was also hitting. So that's when I started running into a lot of college students or, or people of that age who all want to be rappers and stuff like that. Man. So reverting back to the cassette tape days, okay, well, I'm going I'm to get a computer. Um, I've always made music. I'm a musician myself, so I'm going to to try to make beats and instrumentals or what may have you. And I'll, you know, I'll record some people towards some stuff. And I'm bringing all that up because... You know, really, me doing my own thing kind of came out of the anti-necessity of that. And the anti-necessity of that is that originally, if it would have been up to me, I'd have been more of the Quincy Jones, Timberland, Manny Fresh type person here in the music business as far as, like we were talking about with the cassettes, coordinating all the type of, of, of things and artists and music and doing some production on the songs, coordinating it and putting out projects of other people so your aspiration you know? is to be an executive producer not a producer like the executive one I've, I've, I've just recently found out let's say the last five or so years but but when i was that age believe it or not it sounds like i really want to be quincy jones more <laughs> so than anything else you know what i'm saying but i had i wanted to be quincy jones but i really had some heavy marvin gay aspirations as far as being in front of the mic so you know that's where i guess the clash of things was so me doing my own thing actually came out of necessity because in order for me to do the quincy jones thing you need other people to be involved to not only record the music write the lyrics what may have but but you know, burn the CDs and, and right. get them out how in the you, French how Quarter. Do you, how do you organize all this? I never even had a person walk in and be like, nah, I needed to find somebody to write my lyrics. Number one. That's the first. I love Man, it. Man, dude, dude, it's, it's, like I said, I'm an old soul. So I guess when I believe in the way that, that the music game and the music business goes, I know it from like a, a 50, 70, 50, 60, 70 years ago assessment. You know what I'm saying? I, I think of I think of the, the the factoriness of the way Motown was. I think of Tin Pan Alley, and not necessarily well, yes, the music, but also from the business standpoint. So, when we're talking about college. We're talking about New Orleans, the late '90s, early 2000s. Then we're talking about, you know, I knew the concept of. I knew, look, I wasn't the best and most talented person in front of Mike, I knew I could do it. I knew I could spit a few rhymes. I knew I could sing. I knew I could play a couple of instruments. I could easily be in a band and be a part of something. But more so about it is, man, I just wanted to be 
I want to present, but I didn't necessarily have to be the one in the spotlight to present it. You know, I could I could present it. Like I said, I guess I heard this quote from Fat Joe, another show he was on roughly about a month ago, and it sparked off conversation with people, and I'm going to say it here. He basically called DJ Khaled the Quincy Jones of the music game right there, which I can understand the context he's coming from with that without going into detail about that. But that concept that DJ Khaled is using today in reference to how he's putting out his own albums, that sounds like everyday thoughts for me for back in, like, the 90s. <laughs> you know, because I based it off of Quincy Jones and how he released albums in the 80s and 90s. He basically just collaborated everybody together, coordinated everything, pushed that shit out, put his own name on it, put it under his label, and everybody made money and got results from the shit somehow, including him. His yeah. name was on it. He'd have to be all over it. I'm you know what I mean? with you. So until you said that, I wasn't fully sure what the Quincy Jones references were going to, and I was going to clarify it. So you're saying the Quincy <laughs> Jones album is basically the man's curated a mixtape of sorts or an album of other people's stuff made it happen? No, no, or does he not, not even that. No, it's more so think of, see, the reason why I can relate to both what was said about DJ Khaled about Quincy Jones and Quincy Jones' career and how I tied over towards myself is that when you think of, let's say, a DJ Khaled album, we know today Khaled can have maybe something to do with the production of it. He might have something to do with the arrangement of the given songs. He's gonna have something to do with the track listing of the stuff. He's gonna have something to do with with what producers do what. He's gonna have something to do with getting the artists together towards it. And the only thing throughout that hour long project that you're gonna get from DJ Khaled is a whole bunch of times him saying, we the best music. And DJ Khaled, Khaled, Khaled. You know, you're not going to hear no ride from him. You're not going to hear him saying no hooks like talking about or nothing like that. He may have a chant or a poem or something somewhere in there. Well, if you go back 30, 40 years to the same guy who was producing all those classics for Michael Jackson, like Off the Wall, Thriller, Bad and, and Dangerous, he was also doing that for himself as far as his own record label, where he was arranging the music and doing it by hand because he's a famous trumpet player to begin with and the first black executive in the United States. So he's doing all that together and getting the artists together and the music together and doing all the track lists together and doing all arrangements and making everything sound sonically and putting that together on albums like The Dude, Q's Juke Joint, Back on the Block. And they all say Quincy Jones, but you may have 17 different artists on these particular tracks who are all doing stuff that Quincy Jones coordinated along the same line the way DJ Khaled is doing it today. I tie those two in together because, like I said, that's what I originally wanted to do by the time I got to college. But if you have a lack of people being involved in that, then the Yo, only person left doing the music is yourself. Like, Hence when I sit there and I, like, think about what you're saying, it makes me go, that that probably used to happen more, and it doesn't happen a lot now. Because, I, I mean, I yeah. know there's playlists and shit, and it's kind of a thing of that. But, like, just that idea I, of it, the curation of original music where you're Yo, like that that's getting my brain flowing to like you know roles i never considered that could exist again especially with the loosey-goosey nature of fucking loop beat makers and shit you know like there's so much fucking off the domes so much potential of technology now this is the reason why is the reason why the first album that that i recorded and released doesn't even have my name on it it's called urban grooves compilation volume one it's still streamable everywhere you know and there's like 13 tracks on it i do production on like 11 of the 13. um i don't spit a single bar on the entire album 
uh, I'm a part of singing maybe one hook and and I do one Catholic mantra or whatever you want to call it because I ain't never been Catholic. Ironic that I'm from South Louisiana and never been Catholic. But um you know, but but it's you know, it's mine. It, it would have been the original Moose Harris album had I put it out as a Moose Harris album. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, we're talking like I said, early two thousands. That's the that's the idea <laughs> what it was for me, you know, to be a part of a team. You know, Master P had a team. Baby and Slim had teams. You know what I'm saying? Even DJ Jubilee and them with Bounce Music and Take Four Records, they had teams of people. It wasn't just a solo artist in Louisiana putting out stuff rap-wise and hip-hop-wise. They had teams. They had labels of people. They had organizations of people where they might have had one head guy that everybody knows, but you also have this roster of people underneath. You know, I come from where I'm used to having a No Limit album come out once every couple of weeks from an artist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm used to knowing the history of Cash Money Records before 400 Degrees and know how many artists released albums actually on Cash Money Records in the 90s. That's what we were looking to do. That same type of thing. Those type of, though, you know, like you know, what Master P did. You was, gotta like really, okay. You're going you know? into an interesting direction of music ownership and independence because Master P's significance to music is just not talked about that much on my show, at least. Probably because I don't talk to a lot of people from your part of town who are growing up with this. That's, that's probably it is because, yeah, the, the South. <laughs> when Andre 3000 at that Source, that source Choice Awards said the South has something to say, he wasn't lying. But what he really should have said is that the South had been saying a lot. Y'all forgot about that shit. I love that line uh, that he said, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> it's really good for a mantra. But can you break down what Master P did with a little bit more detail? Like, I understand what you're saying about the, the label, but can you break down the significance of this of what No Limit did? Because if I'm not mistaken, they're one of the first people to really pursue it the way he did it. The way... In order to understand parts of, of Master P... Now, Master P took a lot of his business sense or the way he actually presented it from his West Coast experience, from his, his Richmond, California experiences. You know, the story about, you know, history of the music store he had over there and what may have. But from, from, from a Southern New Orleans standpoint, we're used to taking, just in South Louisiana, not just New Orleans, but South Louisiana and in most places of the South, you know, any city that you can think of that's in the South, they have some sort of tourist element to their culture. So we're used to presenting a lot of things to people to latch on to musically. So the concept of, you know, we're used to of this whole phenomenon about pop-up shops or what may have you, you know, sound like, you know, somebody setting up at the corner and selling out a trunk of their car, their music to me back 30 years ago. You know what I'm saying? That's what a pop-up was for us. Literally, people will, will stack their trunks with music or that's not bumping the speakers because they got that in the car itself and drive around to a spot and and keep the music bumping, pop that trunk and, and slang their music out of the trunk. You know, so when when somewhere like Houston, that's four hours away, you have screw music and they're selling it out of the trunk that way. You have New Orleans that, that's two hours this way away from me that that's slinging all the all the jazz sounds all the new rap sounds all the r&b sounds that that whole thing from 
the Neville brothers all the way to to original Young Manny Fresh and T.T. Tucker and Candyman and what may have in reference to his albums. And you're having all these other Southern influences. And we already had all the stuff I talked about earlier musically. I mean, it wasn't just rap being sold this way. All music was basically, if it wasn't coming out of a store, if it wasn't coming off a jukebox, if it was coming on a radio, there was a bunch of artists out here who were just selling it at their own shows or going set up at a park and slang it out of the trunk. So to expand it over to Master P, he basically economically gathered enough music, enough money from his experiences in California to combine with the culture he was already used to in reference towards putting it together and just started flipping that shit. You know what I'm saying? You know, that, uh, an album a month? Yeah, that was legit. You know what I mean? We always make music down here. It was just a matter of somebody like him and other people to actually start making it flip mechanically. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Super it was super interesting is, you know, sometimes like, like, I had this epiphany that there, mm -hmm. the artists that I listen to had way more music than I ever heard in my life. Like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of songs that never made it to the internet. Like I realized that like, cause we got asked to review one of these deep Memphis fucking tapes. DJ mm -hmm. Paul or something, hell on earth or something. Yeah. Banging. And then I realized this shit was just lucky that somebody uploaded this to YouTube. Like we were yeah. lucky that that happened. And there's probably like hundreds of these tapes that just don't exist no more on the internet. Or not, Dude, I don't know let, how me, that. let me give you two mainstream to, to down south references and stories real quick, just to relate across time. Because down here in South Louisiana, there's a sense that Houston, which is four hours away from here, ain't nothing but far west Louisiana on the slick anyway. So just gonna let you know that, you know, that that Houston is is like the South Louisiana's first cousin. So they're in the family somehow. So the music that was coming from Houston would be screw music, right? We were talking about before Paul yeah. Wall, we talking about before Chameleon now, we are talking about DJ Screw what may happen. Well, just to flip things over, I don't know if you know that, some of your listeners probably do what may have you, but George Floyd was one of those screw rappers. Okay. Who rapped with DJ Screw on those screw tapes throughout the 90s, what may have you. You know what I'm saying? I just rediscovered one of his verses and started spinning it on my own shit. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, just to bring right, 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 right. it down. You know, so the average person may have heard of George Floyd in reference to us, his tragic demise and what may have that happened to him last year. <laughs> but the cultural and musical reality was is that he was one of the contributing people towards that Southern sound that everybody knows these days because he was one of them people who did freestyles with DJ Screw back in the Screw Tape era. That's one example from Houston. Let me bring you back to the other side of reference towards New Orleans. Everybody knows when Drake came out with with um, Nice For What, bomb ass song. I dug it, I spun it, I still dance to it. I ain't got no problem with it. Okay. The reason why he says Louisiana shit at the beginning of that shit is because it's a bounce track that he's used. Now, the average person outside of my area probably first got introduced to bounce music with juveniles back that ass up, back in the beginning of the 21st century. Well, there's actually a full decade of bounce music that came out of New Orleans and South Louisiana in before 400 Degrees. That you, without somebody like me per se, or somebody with the actual old tapes or maybe uploaded, wouldn't know anything about. But yeah, you know, those types of 
situations musically that may capture a bigger culture's imagination have many deep ass root musically towards shit, man. For many. Real, though, I only even know what bounce music is because one of them fucking YouTube channels made a video dissecting the bounce music's influence on Drake's Nice for What. And so I learned that there's this whole thing and that, no, he's not being yes. a culture vulture. He's paying homage to a place he visited and this, that, the next thing. Yeah, and, and it was connected also, by a company. Yeah. Apparently, it's like Wayne's part of town, so it's fair game if, like, Drake and Wayne. I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, and and there's, there's, I mean, the roots of that actual music or the music used for that goes back about 30 years, 40 years and the actual genre of bounce music and twerking and, and all that shit goes back to like that same time period where i was telling you that chronic nwa period yeah bounce music existed back then too yeah but that's it so like with that i was like the thing that really made me trigger that is i had this epiphany that i never did this mixtape shit because i was like who the fuck cares i'm gonna do albums and make my like 14 songs and that's, you know mm -hmm. that, you're like bro i'm just used to man's pulling up and every month a new bunch of songs is coming out so it's like a lot of people may look at the habit of consumptive music of like i eat it up now and i move on to the next thing as being a new mm -hmm. phenomenon but the more I dig into the past, it just feels like mixtape culture was undocumented. So a lot of people didn't know that that's how a lot of people were consuming music for almost a long time. Now, there was albums and stuff, but it, it seems like everybody was looking for mixtapes to find the new up and coming rappers and the new this and that's back in the day. And that would have meant a high consumptive of new music that, like, honestly, is not brought up in a lot of conversations I had prior to this Twitch grind. We'll see. You know, from just from my experience, I think mixtapes, at least out here, once again developed out of necessity. Because, okay, let's say previous generations, let's say R&B music, for instance. R&B was easily able to get its start on radio because they really didn't have anything blocking it, per se. I mean, you know, you can think of segregation and race records and shit like that. But... Once R&B got on the radio, R&B was on the radio throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, yada, yada, yada. Well, hip-hop didn't have as much of an easy time anywhere, not even in New York, per se, or L.A., getting onto radio. Right. So with without that, and believe it or not, <laughs> there was a time when radio was the number one option in the world to hear shit. You know what I'm saying? It's, um, it's still litty. It's, I looked mm -hmm. up the stats of radio, and if you are mm -hmm. a country music fan... Oh my God, yeah. the world is yours right now on radio. Dude, I've worked for a country radio station in three different states in my life. I totally believe, understand, and have experienced what you're talking about. Talk radio is number two, and then it gets not yep. as fun. For... See, the problem with hip-hop is it's like it's one of those genres where as much as you like the radio and time frames, it's really like at this point you want to just go discover your own shit and go down your own paths, I find, a lot. But... Then Twitch happened. And I feel like <laughs> Twitch is this fucking strange phenomenon where now I'm actually watching DJs bring back this radio DJ, but like this underground version of it that isn't so <laughs> ad ridden. And it really is like these cool curated playlist experiences where now I listen to some soca. It happens, you know, it just gets added <laughs> to your like palette and shit. So I feel like 
there was a period where the lack of underground radio because let's be real internet radio stations are not like fun like i've never gone to an internet radio station's website where i'm like this user experience is so great that it makes me feel inclined to come back that's no fault of the, <laughs> the websites and the technology i'm a spoiled person twitch is really good at it it makes me <laughs> want to come back can't i can't lie I'm, I'm pretty into it so you go to where you like right but when i realized right. you know every two-thirds of what i follow are djs i don't like always always watch them but like the other day i land on a dj the vibe was just right next thing you know you're fucking hanging out it just feels right and i find right. like in that regard that kind of radio is fucking litty i grew up with adland like right so i don't have these like crazy great like look at the end of high school radio was fucking cool but the sec but it was so like fucking annoying too because they played so many shit songs right <laughs> so many just bad fucking songs and at the same time like so i have my car bad songs youtube phone with an aux cord that i could put mp3s into like at a certain point you're like you know what this radio thing isn't as good as youtube to mp3 at the 2000 and it's like 2009 8 to 10 youtube when all the music uh, just got that's that's where i'm from right yeah. so i'm yeah. not looking at radio the way that you're looking at radio until very recently <laughs> I mean, I think I think I'm looking at I think I'm also looking at radio from from once again as another cultural perspective because once again I think of I think of New Orleans mm. when I lived there in the college years and and everything you're saying about certain radio stations playing bad music existed you know New Orleans had it's it's stereotypical hit music station and and new rock station and classic rock station and and oldies older than me oldies station and what may have you but but at the same time it also had stations like wwoz where wwoz is a world internationally famous new orleans community jazz and heritage station and it's designed it's it's the most a radio station could be a college radio station without it being connected to a college whatsoever. Mm. So that stereotypical college style format of having a bunch of different DJs over the course of the day, paying a bunch of different things or what may have you over the course of a 24 hour period over, you know, two, three, four hours per time, what may have you. Now just add the New Orleans culture twist toward that situation. You so, know, you, so I, to be fair to myself, so just so because i don't want them to get mad at me mm -hmm. that exists here i just mm -hmm. would play the lottery with that shit and nine times out of ten the lottery would not win for me and my desires at that moment i, I get what you're saying man but no no and like i'm not I trying said, to diminish it i'm saying my experiences no. back then <laughs> you know and 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 even even the college radio like those there was actually a college radio station in new orleans still exists now it's at tulane wtul that was actually the first radio station of any kind that played my music from that compilation album I was talking about earlier, you know, and it was literally as simple as, as hitting them up on the phone, finding out who was DJing, roll uptown, <laughs> across town, uptown, present them the CD, and they're going to add it to the library and, and they sometimes will spin it. You can call in and request that bad boy. You know, that's, you know, but WTL was not a hip hop station. Yeah, you know, they just have, have a hip hop show late at night at, on Thursdays from like 
10 to midnight or 11 to one or some shit like that, you know? But it was, it was those types of stations where they had so much cultural music, bro, that yes, they had those stations, those bad music stations like we used to have earlier, but we had a whole bunch of other cultural stations that most people were paying attention to mm. for the most part and because it was New Orleans. That's fair. Um, yeah, everything you said about that, like, proactive approach to hitting up people and um, getting them to, like, play your CD and just going through that grind is also really valuable because it's a lot easier to do that now. Um, like, you don't really have to do the in-person thing so much. But Is, like, it, is, it, really, is it really easy to do now, though? Is it? If you want to play certain angles of it, actually, I would argue it's kind of maybe hard to go a certain route of high volume of individual video traffic. So if your goal is to get somebody with 100,000 active fucking subscribers to do it, probably not. But me and my 2,000 fucking subscribers, yes, I pivoted interviews, <laughs> so it's fucking harder to convince me to do a review right now because this is just more fun. I'm learning about New Orleans and shit, and I listen to your music. I'm winning, <laughs> you know, like, but the, the review thing, in theory, if you had hit me up even a year ago and you would just ask me nice, I would have done it. And I think right. that the problem, you don't know how few I get. That's what I, like, that's the thing. I get so fucking few requests that I ver yo, and I, I do them too. And most people are like me in this tier because frankly, it's just so flattering to me that like mm -hmm. you and if you're like dropping the I watched your so and so's and you can prove you did with a little I fuck with your opinion or I don't fuck with your opinion but either way check mm -hmm. out my shit it would be so cool for you to do this for me and bump it and even do it a little pre-release give me a little like you know seduce me a bit give me a little pre-release access so I can feel special um, right and you copy paste that bullshit and you just watch somebody's video for 45 seconds so you can pull this off effectively and you were to hit up all the shittier not shittier the lower end of this my guy you mm -hmm. dominate all of a sudden like there's a hundred videos of you and that triggers an algorithmic boost that would drive a little bit of traffic back to you like why why are so many people doing this now i think right. that that strategy is not necessarily foolproof it would take a lot of optimization and learning how to approach people and da 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 da, da. time consuming but it would and yield results in this in this era a little bit better and i would avoid any payola in this because those people aren't going to try they're just going to do some bullshit. i mean it, i guess i guess it is kind of amazing to me and the reason why i guess i question why whether or not it was it was easy from that perspective because I'm also looking at it from a perspective of somebody who has a radio show for the last 10 years. My show, Urban Flow SARS. Um, that's usually what you would see when I'm on Twitch broadcasting from wherever I'm broadcasting from, whatever station I'm at. You know, I spend, I spend more than enough significant amount of time on social media going through people's pages regardless if I, if I know them or not if it just happens to fall towards my timeline or a rabbit hole against whatever i spent a whole bunch of time leaving commentary towards people releasing their shit like yo email me this so i can spin it on my show um where where can i go to to try to get the mp3 array towards spinning on my show do you have a radio edited because i'm on fm radio stations you know down here in louisiana at least a couple of them and fcc and then you know it gotta be clean 
you know, uh, do you have radio edits of this so I can spend, you know, I spend, I spend more damn near too much time <laughs> in most cases asking these questions in reference towards artists. And then the next step is, is whether or not they're actually going to turn around and, and send me something that's like not a link to their Spotify, because it's much easier for me as a radio person to be able to have the MP3 or the wave than, than try to run it to their Spotify link or even their YouTube links or what may have you. So I guess from that perspective and that experience, I question, is it really that much easier? Because um, it takes everybody can release, everybody release music. Everybody can release music today. So, But because of that, because everybody can release music, not everybody learned how to prepare to present their music. Like back before streaming and back before, you know, the internet bubble. Once again, going back to like my college times, you had to have some form of foundational direct communication with somebody, even if it was like a phone call or in person. And remember, we're talking about 20 years ago, so the internet wasn't necessarily big shit yet, per se. It existed, but it wasn't, you know, the thing yet. So some of these stations didn't even have email addresses yet during this time period, man. So it was like, you literally had to have some form of foundational human communication with the person to even submit your CD over to them for them to maybe spend something on if you turn around and interact and request it sometime later. You know what I'm saying? Now, I have an email address right now for my radio show that probably has about 3,800 emails in it and about 3,500 of that is probably some form of connection, link, mass, music, list, stuff of music going back like a couple of years of just submissions. Oh my God, submission. dude, you have a data gold mine that you can make an infographic on that would be fire. Anyway. <laughs> like I'm gonna have to look into that, bro. Because, because yeah, like, like, anyway, like. So I would talk to you about I'm that after. At, I was just looking at. I was just looking at my email. I just clicked to look at my email. My total email count on my phone right now for all my emails is 3,879 unopened, and I guarantee you, at least 3,100 of that is from the music email. So, I love everything you said because it's such a cool perspective, especially because I took. I mean, I've basically just done talk radio. We can call it podcast. We can call it review. We can call it whatever the fuck you want. It's been talk radio since I started doing this shit. Right? So, um, but my approach was like, fuck that. I'm going to just steal your music and use it. Fair use. Fuck that. <laughs> I'm going to just take, oh, you're not giving it to me proper? Okay, cool. And I have a workaround to get it off Spotify. And I know how to do it all. And I figured out all the shits I need to do. And I hey, I'll. I've, I've done the exact same things on many of those I, sites that you mentioned. I've, I've figured out some of those loopholes too. I, I mean, mean, if there's something you want to spend and I want to spend it, like, but it's always it. like, but I always went the opposite route. It was more like this though. I don't respond to comments though. Everyone has to hit me into DMs and come at me right. Those are the two mm -hmm. rules. So if you come at me right, and unfortunately that means kind of like when you're playing Among Us, I don't think you're sus which is just so fucking subjective, right? Like, how do you know it's, I'm gonna find suspicious at whatever time of day I read your shit? But yo, I can tell you one thing, the people who hit me up with like, yo, what's good, I saw your shit, I fucks with it, tend to get responses a lot more than, I'm a radio host, that's weird to me to get. Like, I get, like, that feels so formal and shit, which is not most of us that are on this alternate media grind. So, Definitely, I think, though, as an artist looking for a reviewer person, 
Um, look, I don't know. Half of these dudes are probably going to try and charge you. That's facts. There's a whole bunch of them. But the ones that aren't going to try and charge you, there's a whole bunch of people. If you look at the, anybody that's not doing well, just anybody, just go look for people who review famous artists <clears throat> and then get less than 100 views on a video, but still put out a whole bunch of shit and then just watch for people you've never heard of. Then you know they're open-minded. And if they have a wide eclectic taste, so you do a little bit of research, you find a list of like two, 300 people, they're all gonna have their email somewhere. And then you just kind of create emails, I would go with it. Cause yo, here's the thing about emails. It's like, I mean, I don't know. I'll take you more seriously. I think and there's this like subconsciousness of like an email is more serious. It's more business. It's more like whatever or at least the DMs. So if you find them on the Insta, hit them on the DMs, I would say, in some chill way. Follow them, like a few of their shits. I mean, I mean the whole thing, the whole thing in reference to a, a, a word that is very big for me just in life is context. So it really comes down to, I guess, the context. Yeah, somebody can, like, like the way me and you talked in the DMs that led up towards this was, was, was perfectly fine if the conversation went on because there was a context behind it. Kind of like what you're saying, the reference towards DMs. If somebody hit me up on email and wanted to submit their music and, and came at me in a quote-unquote DM sort of way on the email, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that as much as I probably would have more of a problem of whatever music they tried to send to me. Because that's the other side of the game in reference towards you know, how easy it, it is, you know, you receive a lot of bullshit, bro. Like mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, and, and, and I'm more of the type of person, artist, DJ, radio guy, that is more like what you were saying as far as having those, those hundred views, eclectic taste type of things in reference towards music. You know, it's not just the music that I make for myself. It's, it's the music that I listen to. I try to, you know, I try to have a, a very wide spectrum of, of music that I play on my radio shows. And, and I definitely lean more towards a hip hop side of thing, quote unquote, versus a rap side of thing, quote unquote, when it comes yeah. to it. I felt huge KRS one vibes off you. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a KRS one fan. I'll put it to you this way. Uh, the musician in me had me lean more towards East coast hip hop. And I love more the East Coast hip hop sound. However, West Coast hip hop has its place in me, but it's more from a funk standpoint. Once again, One Nation Under Groove, funkadelic sound type of thing. But I'm Southern. And we didn't already talk about all the stuff I grew up around musically. So, you know, yeah. It, it felt like. I can't okay. I specifically from that time period, but I understand. It's not even West so much like how he raps and shit. It's I read the gospel of hip hop, so that's like Karis one preaching at you for eight hundred fucking pages. So you get the sense of his tone, <laughs> and then you listen to enough of his interviews yeah. and shit. But I was listening to a lot of your your message and the way you bring that shit into your music, and I'm like, yo, this dude at least is inspired by the same top level ethos and communityness that KRS-One brings to the table mm. in that book. That's why Thank I, you. So that's why I put you as a hip hopper because that's what KRS-One would have called you. <laughs> right, right. Um, I mean, I'm used to I'm I'm used to hearing messages in the music from other genres, even instrumental music. I'm used to hearing the messages that that come out of it. So you know, I'm going to, in the time that I have to be able to record and create songs and, and drop verses, and sing hooks or whatever the case may be, or even if I'm 
entirely singing the song. You know, I'm going to try to say some stuff. The one the one downfall from growing up the way I did, listening to the music that I did, was that there were so many love songs that I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm tired of love songs, but love songs don't, don't fit as much in reference to the creation of music these days anymore with the younger generation anyway. Mm, and I think well, a small part of that, the oversaturation of love songs from back in the day. Nah, you know, making so, a whole bunch of emo love songs and certain factors. It's just they're not the kind of <laughs> So it happens well, they make well, all these weird love songs and then y'all are like, you know what, that's not my cup of tea. But they're like, like my heart's broke, shorty broke my heart. And they're saying it in ways that are more their language they drop but yo mm-hmm. i've heard like there's no way like lil uzi vert drops entire projects dedicated to heartbreak right it's just then you have to listen to lil uzi vert which i do if i could like this guy's music. man i i guess i guess if 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 i don't be a, a an old fogey and step back and think about it then at least in attempt there isn't much difference between a, a lil uzi vert releasing something like that and marvin gaye's double album here my dear which basically talked about his entire divorce from his wife so, you know, I guess there really isn't much of a difference, right? I mean, except that he's young and it's different. And literally, it's just it's a young heartbreak. So it would have been like Marvin Gaye's right. 20-year-old heartbreak. And I think in a lot of ways, if you look at a lot of the classic dudes, too, just back then, if you look at music history, most of them, like, weren't necessarily 20 dropping original music like that. They were usually 20 doing covers, migrating a one-two original in as the careers would progress. And it was usually a bit later on in life that they would actually get into these originals. Not across the board, but, like, most people weren't, like, 19-year-old pop stars. Whereas a lot of these yeah. kids are. So the songs yeah. are going to be about completely different things, just at an ethereal level. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you read about it. I mean, for the most part, hip hop is probably just about the only genre that exists without that level per se of of artists. Because yeah, people could say even with Bow Wow or, or Romeo or, or or even if you want to go super uber pop and do the Vanilla Ice. Uh, MC Hammer type of stuff from back in the day, you know. Yeah, it had its pop elements, but like what you just described, where you had the young up and coming artist in the genre trying to make a name for himself as an artist by doing covers of other people's things. That's really, really something that really didn't come with hip hop versus you know other genres. I'm not exactly sure why. I might have an idea of why, but you know, it's just something I got that lots of ideas of why. It's a little. It's a little... <laughs> No, do you think it? Do you think it has anything to do with ghostwriting? I'm about to flip the script and start asking you the questions. <laughs> do you cool, think it has anything to do with the concept of ghostwriting? Because I have a different approach to ghostwriting, I believe. So, I think it has to do with. Okay, so keep in mind, everything I'm about to say is an amalgamation of me doing this with people who come from LA, mm-hmm. New York, too, and Montreal, and mm-hmm. and mostly those three cities. Um, right. So, from what I understand, it really starts with B boys and Graph. And there's a competitive mm-hmm. nature to these two elements, especially the B-Boys that come up. And so this battling side of things and Graf has his battling side of things. So this battling part of the elements has always been into it, however level of nice or not it was. Um, and then as the DJs and crews come in, there's this competitive battling element to which crew's the best, who's rocking the best party, etc. So then if you look mm-hmm. at the rappers and you start listening to the stories of how people in the 90s are coming up, they're going neighborhood 
to neighborhood to neighborhood. Oh, you got bars? Oh, you got bars? Let's go. Who's got the best bars? But to win this battle, you have to have your own voice, your own sword, your own technique. You got to be coming with your own shit. So I think it's more that a lot of the roots of the cultures in some of these key locations are so specifically routed in an ability to prove that you have the skills to bring it that are authentic and unique. And part of that was going around and just being able to freestyle and be able to bring your bars and do all of this shit. And that was in Montreal. That was in so many other cities. The exact same story about people going hood to hood and battling and doing this whole thing. And honestly, I think I'm part of the first generation of like internet rappers really who never had to do any of that shit. I was just able to upload my first song to SoundCloud and Reverb Nation and run with it. Never had to do it. So up until like 2010, you have this whole path and this way of going about it because there's no legitimacy. And then hip hop goes pop. The whole world changes. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I feel I feel what you're saying. And and I would counter with with my thoughts on this. I, I understand the fact, and I guess the, the originality in reference to the, the alleged originality, and I think that's an important thing, in reference like to the that. bars and the neighborhood, is something that's stuck on more so than the actual reality. Because once again, I'm an old head, so the examples that I just didn't think of are going to be, you know, 30 plus years ago type of shit from my childhood. I'm like, how... Would Run DMC and Aerosmith's Walk This Way been something that would have that would have hit today based upon that that or or would have been or would have been something that would have hit in the nineties or the two thousands based upon that mindset? Because really Run DMC is doing a cover of Aerosmith's Runs This Way. They ain't singing it, they're rapping it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Would 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 the Sugar Hill Gang Rappers Delight being the first major rap song to chart in the charts here in the United States and get on radio, what may have you, would that shit would have flown today considering that at least a third of the lyrics wrapped in that 17 minute song was written not by the people rapping it? Um, you know, yeah, uh, well, it depends on who you're asking and about which group of people. So if you're talking about the pop sphere, so what I'm going to call Billboard, then it don't mm-hmm. matter. doesn't matter that Nas wrote getting jiggy with it. Who cares? doesn't matter. <laughs> One of one of the most underrated lyrics I ever heard in hip hop music ever comes from P. Diddy. He says it on all about the measurements. Don't worry if I write rhymes, I write checks. And I think that's one of the lyrics ever in hip hop. Because when you step back in rea- in, in reality, every other genre of music has its availability for its its youthful up and coming bands or artists to do covers. It gives its ability for its young up and coming bands and even established ones to have other people actually write stuff for them for quality presentations of music and long lasting sounding presentations of music. All these other genres have those angles and this one never really had. And I never fully was able to wrap my head around why because I don't have a problem with ghostwriting. I'll be straight up with you. I'm I'm um, old school, down reminded. So so if if I have a theory, look, I don't I don't have a problem with it because quality music in the end. I grew up listening to quality music that obviously was not done and created just by one person. 
you know what I'm saying? All that great Motown stuff, all that Stax record stuff, all the stuff that came from even the Beatles and Apple and the, and the early MTV stuff and the new wave stuff, because I love 80s new wave stuff. Was it all done exclusively by just like the band themselves? I mean, Michael Jackson didn't write all that stuff from Thriller by himself. You know what I'm saying? Prince did. Prince wrote a whole lot more Purple Rain by himself than what Michael Jackson did for Thriller, but Prince didn't write all that stuff by himself either. You know what I'm saying? So Janet Jackson came first from her direction. ideas on this stuff. By hip hop, doesn't allow that. You know? There's so much that you said in there that's so fucking nifty. Um, I think <laughs> that the fact of the matter is my girlfriend was able to write a rap verse pretty fucking fast and it wasn't shit. Was it great? No. To be a good rapper isn't that hard. To be an amazing rapper is really fucking hard. And to differentiate between the two is not simple. But the actual barrier to threshold, my guy, I could make a master class that could teach people how to fucking write rap. It's not that hard to take it if you've done it long enough. Explain the structure of flow and get real explanatory, create exercises. You can do this shit. That means that you literally got to be really good or nobody's going to take you serious because there's so much more to it. That's where your story, your authenticity, it's almost like your branding has to be so much more. I feel like people have always undersold the power of this, but like we all believed in the superheroes that our rappers presented more than we, you know, like the package of it, like all of it, like you liked them for so many reasons that went just beyond the rap. It was the fashion choices. It was the presentation in the video. It was the marketing, the album cover, the interviews, the consistency, the lore that got created behind these people. So if you got like this ill sense of style, it's like you're able to bring that overall lore into your bars and do something with it that other people aren't doing because it's not actually that hard. And I say this having watched hundreds of contest entries unrelated to my own contest but i do a contest so i've seen hundreds and hundreds of contest entries and i don't know there's something about it that just happened one day at like fucking entry 400 where i'm like there's no soul in a lot of this so how do you get that extra element that makes you that nice with <laughs> you know like let me let me back up. Let me back up and reference for the sake of conversation. Lay some disclaimers. There, from time to times, are a series of things that I use in conversations that I call mooseisms, and they're usually either phrases or cliches or things that that I use automatically to tie in towards a given part of a conversation. In this particular case, one of the mooseisms I would use is that a combination like this, as like most combinations or conversations on a day-to-day basis, could all boil down if you dig deep enough to two one of two specific things either overpopulation or technology in this particular case the reason why you're having the frustrations that you're having toward the subject matter is from the foundational pillar of technology this is not to say that back in the day for marvin Gaye and stevie wonder and cameo and prince and all that stuff that they didn't have hundreds of bands around the country trying to put out r&b records rock records or what may have that might have had some levels of either local success it might have been inferior shit to the stuff that we know from back in the day but with the way technology is today all those inferior acts that existed 
you know, in our parents' generation and, and generations before that, now they have as much everyday access as the as the proverbial Motown machine to release stuff out to the masses. And the masses never knew the difference between the two anyway. So how would they have known the difference when all of it's being presented at the same time versus the cream of the crop rising through a machine? So it's it's really technology and stuff. The inferior mm. stuff has always been around. Well, but I still think it's, that, like... It, but, if you go back to technology in a lot of ways as a rapper, not the whole mm -hmm. product, not the whole song making machine, it's kind of like playing soccer. Anybody can just pick it up and do it. So we go back to access, which is kind of what you're saying. So if you think back to a culture where 50 people might be a rapper in a room, you got to really come at it in a way where, you know, you stand out, you got a style, you got something. There's a cypher with 30 people bringing bars. How do you actually stand out in that cipher? Well, I guess I guess if we're talking about a, a, a cipher-like situation, that that comes out to like just a just an individual being type type of thing. But that's um, how like a lot of these people. We're talking almost twenty years of this shit grew. That's who all the rappers were. Is a lot of these guys were coming from that world, right? So I mean, it's it's a matter it's a matter of I guess it's a matter of what that proverbial world is. And I say that coming from the perspective of another mooseism I use, and I just included this in a poem I wrote the other day for a performance, um, that I grew up as a middle-class huckster. And that basically means that I didn't grow up in, in the stereotypical richness of what the Huxpool family had on the Cosby show. I was probably more of a middle-class level economic version of the Huxpools from the Cosby show never near as rich as them, but but we wasn't on good times, JJ mm -hmm. Evans level. You feel what I'm saying? Um but so the frame of reference for me as an artist, growing up middle class, and like I say, like in my song Unorthodox, growing up middle class, black friends, white friends, money to spend, two parents, one brother, the world is me so then. I grew up middle class. I don't have those ghetto stories. Mm -hmm. I don't have those project stories. Fact. I don't don't have that those growing up hard stories. So even though I don't have those stories, I still have to find the 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 correctability not only for the music but for myself as well to be able to present what I do and try to maintain a level of respectability in the world of hip hop by doing it. So I totally appreciate what you're saying because I grew up in Canadian poor, which is just come on it's canadian poor we have social services yeah. it's just so much better i can get hurt and go to a hospital it's dope mm -hmm. um yeah y'all got it good at those angles for real <laughs> we have it so bad when our dollar hasn't actually increased in value since i've been in the workforce but those are other problems for other days right <laughs> <laughs> um no but like what i'm saying is, is i don't have that same struggle it's just the facts of a situation but <clears throat> sorry about that but like all right the fact is we all come from listening to the same MCs who come from these particular environments and they created this culture that got spread to all of us that we ended up becoming a part of. So the mm -hmm. roots of the culture come from that particular trajectory, which circles back to the ghostwriting. If everybody mm -hmm. that started the game, for the most part, is a bunch of dudes that effectively were competing in the streets in this dynamic where it was super important to write your own things. It takes I mean, this underlying culture 
that when other people are looking into it, they see that element and then it gets replicated and then it gets spread around. Then it becomes normalized regardless of if it makes sense or not. I mean, I, I, where you're coming from, but then I would counter in saying that, okay, so so the MCs that, that battle rapped on the block in the 90s were, were the same B-boy crews that dance battled or what may have you in the 80s. But then I'm the type of person that take it a step further that those B-boy crews and those MCs and those DJs that did everything that you're describing of in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, well, those same exact happenings were happening with R&B and doo-wop groups in the 50s and 60s in them same damn neighborhoods that had those same economic conditions and had those same different details of struggling and survival, what may have you. I mean, for everything that you say, how hip-hop was formed, how the hell do you think Motown was formed in Detroit in 1959? Do you even have any economic idea? I think a huge difference was knowledge of the machine. Well, I mean, because the 90s I mean, is an era where like this is when it becomes, I think, more prevalent is more than 80s, 90s, yeah. late 80s, 90s. It's like really like as I understand, I don't know the earlier parts of hip hop I mean, history. So everything before 85 in, is foggy. But America in America, the machine has always been the machine. You know what I'm saying? In reality, like we were talking about Master P earlier. Technically, from the machine standpoint, there ain't that much difference between Master P in the 90s and Tin Pan Alley in the 1940s. Mm. You know, there, there, there really ain't that much of a difference. There ain't that much of a difference of the struggle between trying to get on radio today and getting and getting on what radio about the back the battle in the rap side of it? Most of these dudes dibbled and dabbled in battle rap. I don't know if there was like, like I mean, as a competitive sport almost. I mean, I guess, I guess, um, or at least it existed in the periphery of a lot of these people, even if they didn't dibble and dabble well, directly. Well, I mean, I guess it, it comes down to when trying to pinpoint when the concept of actual rap, not necessarily hip hop, the genre, not even necessarily hip hop, the culture, but the, the art of actually rapping words, actually rapping bars, actually rapping poetic verses actually started because battle rap to me ain't nothing but but you know a poetic device that djs figured out a way or or djs figured out a way in one direction to to try to expand and invent the mcs but battle rapping like is 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 playing the dozens that's that's your mama jokes <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's, it's that that element has always been around it just after once, once the the modern machine kicked in for the hip hop culture, i.e., radio, record labels, uh, gold and platinum albums, things of that nature, those foundational elements that we're talking about, i.e., the battle rap and the graffiti, the dancing, um, and and even in a lot of points up until recently, again, the DJ kind of faded away to the side in the culture. But that's not to say that those elements wasn't there or didn't originate. I mean, they all have ancestral history in American or North American music. You know what I'm saying? I still think the rappers rapping about rapping definitely played into it. Like there isn't another genre of music that is that like that. I'm sorry, but like metal doesn't have guys being like, and I play guitar better than you. They played guitar like that, but they didn't explicitly say it. So, right, then you get to rapping where it's like, um, look, I've done a lot of classic album reviews and I'd say at least half of the, half of the classic ones I've done, 
like the old mm-hmm. ones, man, it's like Yad is the one two single that's got depth, but then there's the ten filler tracks that are like, bro, I rap better than you, and I got the best styles, and I got the best rhymes. This guy bit my style, and his rhymes is less good than me. <clears throat> and then let me talk about now as a gladiator or as a this, how my raps are in fact most authentic and original and unique, and I totally wrote them myself, and that guy stole his rhymes. That is, that's just like my guy. That is like, that's all. That, there's so much of that in rap. Like it's just. There's to this day, there's so much of that as a content point that has been ingratiated into it since like the 80s and 90s, late 80s, early 90s. That's that's really that's really how how rap as far as a musical genre, as far as a musical tool for music expression actually came about was that concept of of I'm better than you and and I'm approve it right now and that's the direction where the rhymes come from what you're talking about what reminds me of a, of a article and i can't remember what was complex or somebody what may have you and and as a because i like history in case you haven't realized by now i love history this is great and they did an article a few years ago might have been two or three four years ago something like that where they gave a proverbial heavyweight belt championship belt per year to an mc every year from like 1979 to like 2015 or 2016 or something like that and they went year by year by year not based upon the artist's actual career or anything like that but that year in question who had it down in hip-hop and for what reason and when you actually look at you know the first few years let's say the first five or six years of it which would be what 79 through 84 what may have you well most of the reasons why they gave the belt to one particular person and then maybe gave some honorable mentions the reason why they did that was because well not the reason why they did that the reason behind them giving the title to some of those people during that time period was really based upon how they outdid somebody at a at a specific event and not necessarily because they they released an album that went somewhere or 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 did that it was really off of like like the heavyweight champ for like 1981 was based upon this this track he did live to another MC at a Christmas party, where where he basically dissed his entire rapping technique style and then went off about how good he is with it. You know what I'm saying? And we're talking about 40 years ago in See reference to the situation. So, like you know, it's it's always and been if there. You and like I think circle that, that back to ghostwriting as a taboo subject compared to other genres. Again, I don't know another genre that was so blatant in the lyrical content about it. They did it in other well, ways. Lyrical, this is the thing about it. Maybe not in the and this is something I think many people are missing. Not necessarily in the lyrical context, but in the, the theoretical and the musicianship context, because you gotta realize outside of the actual DJ, hip hop doesn't have any musicians. Like, we have producers, we have DJs, you know, we may have, you know, of course we have, like, the Roots, and we may have actual bands, but within that is what makes the Roots so rare within hip-hop. That's what makes the concept of a hip-hop band so rare in the genre to begin with, because for the most part, the genre doesn't have any musicians. But all these other genres do have musicians. So I know for a fact of of terminology from studying jazz in college of a technique called quoting. And quoting basically for me is when, okay, if a jazz soloist, let's say, just to throw out somebody, let's say Quincy Jones, once again, he was a trumpet player, is in the middle of a jazz solo in a song. You know, quoting is when he'll take a part of his solo 
and he'll play a part or a piece of somebody else's solo or he'll play a familiar riff from a nursery rhyme or some song like that and he's purposely doing it as a quote from this other piece just so the listener can relate to it and be like hey i recognize what that's from or whatever the case may be you know rappers kind of somewhat try to do that in reference to us today i think drake was one of the, the well actually jay-z was one of the great original ones of doing that in reference to us you know i'm not a writer i'm, I'm not a writer i'm a writer for myself and others you know i think he's one of the great ones but those techniques have always been in music and for some reason i say it's more instrumental because people motherfuckers can play quotes on their guitars all day they can play you know Jimi hendrix to sit there and play robert johnson on his guitar all damn day and it really didn't make no difference even if you know he was playing a direct robert johnson solo on his own song at woodstock you know what i'm saying stevie ray vaughn could sit there and play Jimi hendrix all day on his guitar and it really didn't matter because with stevie ray vaughn playing the shit out of this Jimi hendrix solo but so, let somebody let jay-z so try to try to, to get a big a piece of a big Verse. And, Yo, and I do hip hop <laughs> karaoke, right? Which is just that. Right. So first of all, shout out and and M for rap. That came out of left field and reference to us hip hop karaoke because there's a difference still even within that. So I'm talking like you know you have to memorize the verse yourself. You can't like you gotta just go spit it like it's your track. It's okay. like it's legitimate. It's a cover but you're paying yeah. homage like with like yeah. all the words so i obviously changed my fuck that whoever's artist it's holding it's not their name anymore shit like that uh-huh. or i'll make little <laughs> local room references like shit you know but i don't know like i spat rap god at the just for last festival and i was like blessed as fuck but i've been talking and i'm like that's an experience i'm like bro go do hip-hop karaoke there's opportunity there i've had this conversation with like what 200 rappers same fucking conversation nah i can't do that and it always stems back to this cultural pride that gets attached to what i was saying where if you're you gotta understand a lot of us grew up with this the 90s told us to keep it real and then we we listened to all these raps about being an authentic rapper that would never bite another person's rhymes ghostwriting is in a sense you know like playing into that well personally i'm with you like you don't even have to convince me my guy i mm-hmm. i just decided to off the doma project this weekend and one of the tracks i flattered i'm like you'll pay me to write your shit <laughs> I'm, I'm with you my guy ghostwriting is dope but like mm-hmm. i think that it's just taboo but even in the pop sphere there's a lot of confidentiality even in other genres they hide a lot until they have to not hide it yeah, and, and, and that's our fault. We we give so much away so easily. But it reminds me of, a, of another story to independent artists out here. So um, about an hour east away of, from Lafayette is Baton Rouge, which is the capital city of Louisiana, right? And then there was this artist out there, and I'm going to give a shout out. It's a whole form, because I I'm believe more so in trying to give them towards giving flowers to artists while they're still around regardless of their mainstream independent or whatever. So there's this artist in Baton Rouge goes by the name of Marcel P. Black. He's originally from Oklahoma, but he lived his college years plus in Baton Rouge. And he really helped formulate the non-Bootsy, non-Webby, non-Trill ENT side of the hip hop culture in Baton Rouge over like the last 10, 12 years. Well, he's moving back with his family back to Oklahoma because, like I said, that's where he's from originally. So they had a going away party at where he used to have one of his monthly events. 
And this other artist from New Orleans was one of the people booked on this specified event. His name is Alfred Banks. Now, Alfred Banks and Marcel consider themselves brothers in the game because they got road stories as far as independent hip hop MCs going across the country and all them stereotypical road stories, you know, about struggling and surviving doing independent hip hop shows on the road, right? So they close like that. So Alfred is doing his set real intimate set because first of all the event's being held in a barbershop so it's intimate like that so he's going into he goes into saying that uh, this next song I want to do I just wrote three days ago that's what he claims on it. and the music starts and it happens to be the beginning of one of Marcel's songs the, the sampled intro what may have you long story short Alfred Banks stood there in front of this group of like 50 people in this intimate setting Wrapped word for word, bar for bar, his his man's, his brother's song right there. Surprised him. Birthday party surprise style. Wrapped the song word for word directly in front of him. Now, should he get chastised for, for the <laughs> combination of, of using that cover and throwing flowers at his man's at his going away oh, party for that? Shit ever. But how many people do we know that, that wouldn't have had the context of the understanding and the love that these two MCs happen to have for each other as far as, you know, black men and brotherhood and hip hop culture, what may happen. How many people would have would have tried to say something negative in reference towards a situation like that happening if they just randomly heard the story it wasn't there for the experience itself? So you know, I don't understand. There's definitely an age curve on the answer to that shit, where if you're asking me what an 18-year-old would think, it would not be the same thing as what it, even my age is with you on this one. I'm not even, I'm due, but see, I'm not even exactly sure, because remember that the age group I'm at, I'm, I'm technically hip-hop culture 2.0, my age group, and the only age group ahead of me are those that help Mm. formulated for lack of a better phrase in the Bronx you know? so I know for a fact that there are several people in my age group who grew up in the 80s like I did who for some strange reason had mm. an adherence to to ghost writing I'm, I'm just not one of them <laughs> you know I don't know how the 18 year olds would react to the concept now because I mean they technically like hip hop culture like 4.0 yeah, or also, something. So for them, but, I have some ideas because I've talked to a couple of them, right? Same kind of way. Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. so, so imagine you're eight years old on your first mobile device with a smart, which uh, is a fucking smartphone. So yeah, I'm with you. Every part, the whole part I, of this conversation, I'm with you. Okay? Experience, I've experienced that with eight-year-olds and smartphones within right. the last so few So now imagine That's it's 2010, because these kids that are gotcha. on the time on out, it's 2010, 11, 12. Gotcha. Drake and Lil Wayne are on top of the world, but they're also mm -hmm. learning about Tupac, but they're also learning about Nickelback, but they're also learning about Iron Maiden, but they're also learning about Skrillex, but they're, and then I'm like, wait a second. And then you know what? A lot of them like new metal which is great. I'm very happy that new metal got cool with these kids. And what I realized is that half these kids that I talk to that are artists <clears throat> don't even want to be labeled into any one like genre because they just want to have the liberty to jump around and do what they want. And fundamentally, everything about what we understood about making music in boxes is just like dying. So and that's, and that's the beautiful thing about what kids have today. Once again, talk about one of those foundational pillars, that's a technology thing over to me. Because the way you just described in a sense could be comparable to me in reference towards the MTV references back in the day. Mm. But but it's so much 
like the scale, easier. No, but the they scale have multiple MTVs to go through proverbially. You know what I'm saying? Multiple it's all history at once. It wasn't just current. Right. It's like right. what the fuck? It's like an MTV of all time at your disposal on demand, right. and they all had YouTube stealing devices. We struggled as kids to even have that that connective balance between between the stuff that was coming out now and the stuff that was before. You know what I'm saying? Today you have access to stuff that's coming out now mainstream, the stuff that was all out before going back almost a hundred years now in reference towards that. Plus you have the biggest independent scene of music that the world has ever seen. You know right. what I'm saying? So it's like you're getting it in three, four different ways Plus, in comparison to vitamin two. Honestly, Every golden rapper, sorry, golden era rapper that you can think of has probably dropped an album within the last four years. Honestly. So not only yeah. is it like all the young people, it's like pretty much most of the history of the genre is still alive. Like fucking Slick Rick put out a couple of tunes a couple of years back and shit. Another, is this another, this another boosism that, that I think about? It's not even necessarily a phrase per se, but what well, actually is a phrase. Hip hop right now is going through the equivalency and it's been a few years since i first said this but so i gotta adjust hip-hop now is going through the same equivalency that rock and roll did into the late 80s early 90s like all this mumble rap is basically hip-hop alternative music like all this mumble rap is basically nirvana and everybody down from like 1990 versus the big haired stadium rock of the 80s and what they have you know for a long time i said that hip-hop music was going through its 80s phase where you have 40 something year old rappers that are doing the same thing that the rolling stones and tina turner and paul mccarty with wings were doing in the 80s now that they were in their 40s but now when they moved up even more so than that because our motherfuckers are in the 50s so now we're closer to you know we're closer to grateful dead tour level in hip-hop <laughs> you know what i'm saying so that that's just where he is because that's the way stuff goes on and if more people thought about it from that perspective then maybe more motherfuckers would be appreciative of the balance of og still releasing records and all these people mumble rapping on triplets yeah i don't know I like the mumble rapping a lot more than I thought I would. Oh, I ain't got no problem. I ain't got no problem with it because it's all about. I'm a musician. I love okay. triplets. <laughs> no, but a lot of these. Okay, so like, yeah, there's a lot of garbage, but that goes back to accessibility. But when you really look at the top tier guys in that genre, man, every oh. every syllable is fucking clear. The triplets are fire. It's the pocket. These oh. guys understand the pocket in a way where not. Two thirds of the independent rappers I know personally do not understand the pocket the way half these mumble rappers they this do. That's just the facts of a situation. They're really technical, but they write it in a way <clears throat> that's almost like a science equation. You feel nah. the composition in it. Whereas a lot of these dudes know how to flow in a way where, yeah, their bars that, are in it, but they you feel that some shit. Lack of a team effort. That's the lack of a team effort because okay. I would love I to hear know. a clarification take, take, on that. Take a main, take a mainstream, take a mainstream rapper from from today. Just take whoever, and I can't say I'm necessarily expert on all of them. Call it generational gap or whatever, but you know, let's say a Twenty One Savage, right? Right. We know for a fact. We know for the fact that in the process for Twenty One Savage to uh, creating any music, you know, whether he's featured or somewhere his own album, what may happen. Know he ain't doing the shit by himself. We also know that the people that some of the people, not all of them, but at least some of the people involved in the process with him, 
aren't rappers themselves. Now, there may be some people on his team who are also rappers trying to establish their own career and things of that nature, what may have you. But we also know that there's a nice percentage of people who are behind the scenes helping develop these these songs and products for 21 Savage, regardless of how much you write, that aren't rappers. And that's what most independent rappers, in my opinion, are actually missing. Fact. If you have, I'm glad you went there. If you have a room with 12 different people in reference to his work to a song, and 11 of them are rappers, and 11 of them are rappers thinking in the mindset of like what we're talking about in reference to his competition is either yours, is either mine or not at all then where is the extra collaborative and idea and Facts. brainstorming experience that comes out towards, you know, basically putting out good music, which is supposed to be the original objective, because that's where the money comes from, making good music. <laughs> and if you really want to go somewhere in a different direction on the exact same theme, Eminem mm -hmm. and Rick Rubin. What do you think Rick Rubin does when he works with Eminem? That's, that's what Rick Rubin does. He tells Eminem. There's been... There's been countless examples. Or Dr. J would have been another example, but I like I think the Rick Rubin is a more recent example of like this is what there's been there's been countless examples of and hell, even I run into the problem now these days myself, even as being a veteran independent artist, there's countless examples of people who weren't ones that want to be in front of the mic or be in front of the scene that have contributed heavily to the success of people who, who were. Rick Rubin was was one of the first in hip hop history to, to you know, you've never heard Rick Rubin spit a bar in your life. You've never, when's the last time you ever saw anything where Rick Rubin sung a note? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can't, I'm old enough to, to realistically know whether or not he's ever played instruments, but I couldn't tell you whether or not Rick Rubin ever played an instrument a day in his life. You know what I'm saying? Without here, but but look how much he contributed to like the last 40, 45 years of this genre of music. And in, in hold comparison. on, let's say not just this genre, because that guy works with mm -hmm. the Chili Peppers. That guy works with everyone. Yeah, yeah, that that that's and that's the whole that's the whole just about it. You know what I'm saying? It's it's <sighs> no, but I'm with you actually, because here's the thing. Yeah, but I used to be like that rapper that wanted to do all the rapper things. And I say it like that because if you talk to rappers about certain perspectives, like, you know, you go down at certain walls. And I guess a lot of us don't fully understand the value of a producer. So the way it was best put to me, because I've talked to producers and I started realizing that all the producers were saying the same shit and all the rappers were saying different shit. And then okay. I said to myself, maybe I'm going to try to take the producer's advice, like punch in if you okay. fuck up. And that is... Yo, everything about my art is better because I listen to producers. They're not necessarily coaching me in the sessions, but like when people give me production advice now, like somebody heard a take and he said, you sound high, tired, and your mouth is dry. And I'm like, that's way too specific of a criticism to be like random at, right? So then I had to re-deliver it in a way to overcompensate for those things, which made the final product like ridiculously better. But from a rapping right. perspective, I totally nailed all the shit for like a one-two cipher. But like from a, would the DJs play it at the club perspective? Nah, I wasn't hitting the energy and the actual vocal performance that was required to take the song where it needed to go. But like, produ so producers are a big missing component because the language got fucked up. Beat makers well, and producers are not synonymous terms. Yeah, this is this and, and everything he's saying is was a damn good example and foundational pillar of technology again. Back, even back when you were growing up, all the big time 
artists like like name a name a, a famous rock band from your time period. Lincoln Park. <clears throat> Thank you. Okay, I, look, I'll take Lincoln Park, and then because in the end, it really doesn't matter. Hey. <laughs> but okay, Lincoln Park had not only just a stereotypical machine behind them in reference to the studio and the recording, but they had they had a team of people around them just in general. Like like another Diddy thing. Ooh, let's go one thinking. step further with it because I know a lot about mm -hmm. the recording process. There were six of them, not one of them. Yeah, you know, and but but even further than that, there might have been ten people in there. But there really was only maybe a couple of guitars, one lead singer. You didn't have oh, okay, like okay, okay, okay. I hear you, you didn't have like eight lead singers and and four lead guitars trying to put trying to put a rock album together for somebody else. You know, what I'm saying who who's not in the same band you are. You just happen to be working the controls for. Them. You know what I mean? There there was a machine of people that that's that listened to things in detail. You know, uh, Quincy Jones example, like I said, I, I got several old school examples. So, but I'm gonna keep one from this time period. One of the one of the most underwritten things I saw on MTV in the early 2000s was Diddy's making the band. And not necessarily even the whole show, because the whole show was a crazy adventure. But the moments in the studio when Diddy was recording those artists and he would stop them and be like, say this syllable this way put this inflection on this word as part. No, record that again and say it like this. That's the type of shit that most of the rappers these days are missing because they boys who were in the room with them wouldn't know the difference themselves in reference to telling them something like that. And I've been through countless arguments with people just by being the type of three instrument musician, producer, singer, and MC that I am myself. I've been through countless arguments with motherfuckers in something as simple as, no, you're saying this part wrong. You ought to say it like this for the effect. Like mm. I've been through countless bullshit. I, I had I had a singer one time when I was in college, and I ain't gonna say no names, I don't even remember her name at all anyway. I had a singer in college argue me down because I tried to tell her she was covering an Anita Baker song in the wrong key. Like she was singing it in one key or what may have you, but it was supposed to be, the objective was to try to sing it in the original key. And I could hear the original key simply from hearing the song off the radio. I knew that she was like at least two, three notes lower than what it was supposed to. And I was a jazz singer myself at the time too. So I go to her and be like, yo, I like what you're doing, so on and so forth. We're in the same jazz class together. But you're singing it in the wrong key. It's actually this key over here. I don't, I nearly got stereotypically cursed out over that shit because artists don't necessarily know what to do with somebody who, you know, they all suspect some form of, oh, he or she trying to take my spot. That's why they saying this. I don't think it's that. You know that, that I don't when, think when it's it, so much. Yo, it's, we're sensitive. I'm sensitive. Yeah. It's way more, it's not, it's not even like I'm worried about you taking my spot. It's like I go through this process. Somebody will give me some harsh criticism. And I go yeah, defensive like a motherfucker because I want you to think it's beautiful, and I think I want it to be like the best because I made it. So the part where you're able to point out that it's not the best and I have to do better makes me feel less adequate as a human being. Thus, I lash out. I swear Man, to God, that shit is real. I, that I, I have to fight in my real life <laughs> when dealing with criticism. I yeah, we, we, we have to be we have to be a, a whole lot more sensitive to to people who have contextual authority over situations. 
because yeah, many of our music heroes, I mean, even going back to like the 80s and 90s and hip hop, those that were up there, up there, even they, you know, things start to unravel in reference towards those types of artists in the 90s, you know, but all the ones, you know, the Rockefellers, the, the Tupacs, the, the Rakims, the, you know, the LL Cool J's, they all had those people that were in the trenches with them that weren't necessarily rappers trying to open with them on a tour or feature on an album or things of that nature. Even if they did end up featuring on an album, there was then some sort of contextual competition with them to where they couldn't offer constructive changes, let alone also, those that were not rappers at all hmm. that were actually a part of the process instead of it being like, you know, 17 rappers in a 15-man situation. So you I know? think it's like also a matter of knowledge to be real. Like I had to talk to like three, four producers, beat makers and be like, wait, why are all these guys saying such different shit about music, about the creation process, about how they do it? I mean, you got to think about a sampler and what they're effectively doing. They take something and then they recreate it and their approach is just so drastic. Like, and it's so interesting to me. And then I realized that the attitude that a lot of people have that are not MCs is just really different about songwriting. But I think that that's really what it comes down to. Are you trying to be like an ill rapper? You want to go do this rap grind and rap really well? That's a grind. And there are a lot of people who like songs that are like that. And it's a whole like underground culture. But I think it's a really oversaturated culture and a lot of people look at that and I believe it is the one of the simplest entryways. You can study poetry and kind of like look at that. But when you get to the musicality of it all and you look towards that next level with, with production, how do you even find that person when nobody know what the words mean anymore? And I mean it literally. I wasn't really cognizant to the difference of producers versus beat makers versus engineers versus the drum oh, so all of these terms right they're not it's really whole, used right, right. when you think about those types of things right and once again looping back from our conversation earlier this is why contextually i understood the whole labeling of of dj cali being in that quincy jones position today because just looping all the way back to that I come from I come from more of a of a music background. Like I said, the hip hop side of me was actually is not well. It's not the latest anymore because I have the, the radio and the DJ thing. What may have you after that? But it was one of the later elements of, of me as far as a music performer. So I spent nearly twenty twenty five first twenty twenty five years of my life coming from the perspective of like singing. And, and everything that, that comes with that, with, you know, vocal training and interacting with musicians and piano players and and hitting the right fucking notes whenever you sing songs, just period. I mean, there aren't really any specific notes for a rapper to have to hit. You just got to sound like they ride the beat. You know what I'm saying? Ah, and, I don't even know about and, that a thousand. Because if you look I'm at not, like the... Not, saying that i'm not necessarily saying that as a negative thing but i'm saying that from the perspective of if you in a recording situation and you don't have somebody i.e a producer engineer somebody else in the room telling you that you know you might be ahead of the beat or or it would sound bad as way that you put this inflection in your voice at this particular point instead of putting the voice the, the inflection in your voice here 
You know what I'm saying? If you don't have somebody actually labeling it off to you and the average rapper, regardless of the talent he has, is trying to figure out that shit themselves. Well, historically, how how often have civilizations, how, how many tragedies have civilizations had historically based upon trial and error type of things versus being instructed upon how to move forward from assistance from somewhere else? Right, <laughs> you know so what I'm saying? Then you have the other side of the qu- equation. So you're a young person now. Or even you're in your 30s, because again, mm-hmm. you're at that point, you're still in a different era, um, and you want to find a producer person. How do you find one? And that's the real question. Like, then I mean that to a lot of people. I know the answers to these questions. You go fucking network, and you go make friends, and you go to parks, and you talk to people, and you you go figure out ways to meet people. That's the actual truth of it. I've asked so many people on and off cam, how do you find people? And the answer to the question is always go to where people are and meet people. The producers, to answer your question specifically, I think the producers, as as long as you have some sort of honest, contextual focus to your mind, then I think out of everybody who presents themselves the way it's being presented today, the producers present themselves, you know, and, and it's more of, it's at this particular point, it's more of a if you know, you know type of situation. I mean, um... Yeah, I, I, I guess I really just don't know how to, everything you're saying as far as going out and interacting with people and so on nah, and so I mean, forth dude, is because the true, but but it all comes. So it's like it's like this. I think that the situation needs to be solved by a little bit of an education gap that has to get like filled out. It's part of why I'm doing this. It was for myself. It wasn't even so much because like, yo, I didn't understand the full value of going through the copyright process with the government. I didn't understand the full value of all these terms. So I remember sitting down with a dude and like learning about tape reels. And so it's been like really fucking blessed to like walk through all Mm -hmm. these different avenues. And I suppose I do this a lot. So it's added a lot of context to my life. But then I think about where I started and the conversations I was having with people at various degrees of fame within my city. Um, And I realized there's not a lot of like correct understanding that's commonly shared. It's almost like a lot of the understanding is maybe a little bit gatekeeped based on XYZ reasons. And to be fair, million answers to the question of why it's not really my place, but it doesn't look like there's a lot of great people educating people. It looks like there's a lot of bad information that gets filtered around in high frequencies. So people are just really confused and they really don't know which of the 18 people giving them advice is the correct one. Is it the guy saying, fuck a promoter, go pay for ads. Is it a guy saying, fuck that shit, do this is, you know, so it gets confusing to be a person navigating this world. It, how can I, how can I compare it? Cause I like, I like laying examples and comparisons in case you ain't noticed that by now. I love it. It, it, the game today reminds me of like an office of playbook, especially in football. And it could be NFL or Canadian. Cause I dig the CFL too. Shout out, shout out to the Alouettes by the way. Right. Yeah. Um, You have you have certain players in the playbook that's designed to run the ball. You have certain players within the playbook that's designed to pass the ball. You have certain players within that same playbook. Then you have other sets of playbooks that's referenced towards the defense, whether they're gonna rush, whether they're gonna cover, you know, you have trick plays and all kinds of stuff. When you use a playbook, the objective to use a 
using a playbook and football, whether it's CFL, NFL, or anywhere else, isn't to specifically take every single pass play in your playbook and run every single one of those pass plays and hoping that that specific list of pass plays is once going to lead you to the victory, a winning record, and possibly a great cup sometime in the future. What you do with that playbook is you take a combination of that stuff from the running part, combination of that stuff from the passing part, some of that special team stuff, and maybe even a couple of the trick plays type situations, and you develop that into a whole entire plan for your team to try to win the goddamn game. So realistically, it's it's not necessarily any part of in the music of 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 one thing do this. It's really just a feasible, realistic combination for yourself of a variety yeah. of things. It may this not even be man all of them. is spitting find, all you know, facts. <laughs> you just gotta find your your right pitch pot for him. Another cultural reference to Don here. We love food, you know what I'm saying? We have our fair share of gumbos and things like that. It's really a, a mixing pot, a gumbo of combinations that you have to put together in no, order to make it work I, for you. And I agree with everything you're saying. Honestly, I love this interview because it's one of those ones where like, I'm like, you know what? We're going to be able to teach some motherfuckers some shit here. And I mean that like, what I want to do is have conversations like this so frequently that like mm-hmm. certain core ideas like how to think in a bigger picture or you know just the perspective of musicality versus say rapping technique or a lot of different things that come out of a conversation like this is like a vice for other people to like jiggle up in their brain and like have different things based off of it because yo honestly i don't think it ever really is gonna matter how good of a rapper i become i think it matters how good of a brand i create that's what my epiphany is Dude, that's, that's totally true because, and this is why I do everything that I do in reference towards being an entertainment game. Because once again, my objective, my objective, it's like, in, like you, you were just talking, you were just talking about off before we started recording earlier today that you was listening to Bushes and the Pope. Mm, I so in in the song door i put out a line that says may never be the best but i'm damn good that's a that's a thing best believed i'll be understood i will never claim to be the best artist at any given time at all i will never claim to be the best dj i will never claim to be the best radio show host i will never be i would never say that I'm the best festival organizer, I am not the best event facilitator, what may have you. But there are all things that I do. And there are all things that I do towards various levels of success because overall, you know, the objective is to not think of Moose Harris just as a rapper. I mean, this is why this whole poetry thing, I mean, this is the reason why I'm even over here at this building here with you. While while the opening ceremonies to this international poetry competition called Southern Fried Poetry is going on in another room, my teammates monitoring all that because we're about to spend the rest of this week battling poetry teams from around the world and trying to win some money. You know, that's the reason why we would have had this conversation, this interview in 2018 or even the beginnings of 2019. That aspect of me being in this building and that whole circumstance and vibe wouldn't have been nowhere near part of this conversation because I I wrote stuff, but I never spit from a poetry, poetical perspective over the people. But I mean, if 
if I have words that people are digging and they're digging it from that context and that perspective, and it could get me a combination of love, notoriety, and maybe some money out of it, because I just got paid this weekend for writing a new poem based upon Marvin Gaye, and I had to spit that three times in front of an audience. They paid me for it, like they paid me well for it. Then why not add that to the repertoire towards the branding that is Moose Harris? Well, I don't even I go by Moose Harris. Fucking poems for fucking cash. My real name, still a part of branding and all, you know. Oh, how did you come up with Moose Harris? Willie made a joke earlier about there's no mooses around you or something. <laughs> the, the authentic story is this. Moose is actually short for Moosehead. And that was the original nickname I was given in high school playing basketball at New Iberia Freshman High School in New Iberia, Louisiana back in the mid-90s. There was a running joke and a nickname stuck throughout high school. By the time I got to uh, by the time I got to college, the whole Moose Harris thing actually came from a, a late night stone joke that a roommate of mine had. One night we're watching NBA basketball and there's an NBA player out there by the name of Lucius Harris who was out there on the court. And my friend in all his stoned glory looked at the screen and was like, Lucius Harris? Lucius Harris. And it just went from there. <laughs> that, is, that is the perfect story for that. And, that. and it just went from there. It just stuck, you know? You know, I was always Moose. I've been Moose since I was 14 years old. But, you know, the Moose Harris part comes from, like, my early 20s college and shit. Mm. And being stone watching basketball. <laughs> so if it counts for anything, what I've discovered is young people in Montreal are congregating on Instagram and groups and replicating a lot of what you're describing. So what you desire seems to be fostering in young people in my city that barely talk to me. So that makes me really which, excited. Which part, Sorry? Which, part talk, which part are you talking about? This the desire for producers that actually want to okay. work on that. Like I met this 20 year old that shows up at Manz's house and brings the studio to them so he can produce the song in their environment because he felt rappers was a little bit too lazy. So, so you're seeing all these little 20 year old business entrepreneur hustler types who are who just have 15 friends who rap and 14 friends who make beats and they're making connections on their own. So because these posses are kind of collectively growing, I found out, man, these Instagram chats are kind of lit and they like they just do their thing. And I'm like, damn, I am underutilizing this Instagram if I ever want to like congregate with people that are younger than me. I'm 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 original. I'm <laughs> when the internet when the internet really jumped off. I was a tea dater, so I'm I'm like old school internet. So even the modern things and reference stuff, I'm still trying to catch up on. Like the whole concept of Twitch is a fairly new concept for me in reference towards using it. I mean, I understand it because it reminds me of my cassette videotape days in the '80s. Except now, I was on the internet, you can make money off of it. So I understand it, but I'm I'm still trying to catch up to the level of of Harry more people follow my channel, which is under Moose Harris, by the way. And, and you know, the whole thing, the whole concept of rating other people's channels and, and, and collecting all these coins and stuff like that. I'm, uh, I'm not up to reference yeah. towards all so that he, yet, he, but I want to be. It's I got real, to. like, it's real, it's a bad answer for a lot of people. It might be a good answer for you. Everything else in this fucking world is algorithmic. Twitch is mm -hmm. not algorithmic. Mm -hmm. Twitch is an active effort. If you aren't so how do I get new fans? I interview new people and it brings, so I have a cipher that involves multiple people. Everything I do with my Twitch is community oriented because if you're not okay. constantly bringing 
other energies of people that might be interested in raiding you or connecting with you in some way to it creators etc you're probably gonna have to do some payola to get advertising to work around these hurdles but like the more i look into what? it it's more like like the other day my man's ismail so you got to find an ismail that's the facts of it you need a guy who just likes this shit so he's just a fan and so he goes and finds shit he likes that's great he likes this shit in a way where i study this shit so my opinion mm -hmm. sucks it's based on who's gonna got numbers it's terrible decision making ismail's like that shit's dope rate it and then i land there and sometimes it's fucking really dope like i landed on this girl's shit and she just started saying like Who's that guy behind that suit? Whatever, looped it, and then 15 minutes of this shit was a hook. And, she, and I'm like, this is a great use of my life. I'm very happy. And then she played my <laughs> fucking song and started playing fucking violin or some shit under one of my nice chopped and slowed down fucking track remixes. And I'm like, this is surreal and shit. So then I hit her, and I'm like, yo, let me interview you. You know? So it's like you kind of flip it. But then it's like... Yo, I met We Speak English good. I have him somewhere, I think, on my calendar for an interview. He's got me in the interview, etc. And, you know, we kind of, like, you got to, like, put that, like, honest effort into fucking with the DJ trains. Like, if you want to be a DJ, you got to go find DJ friends. They line up schedules. They do raid trains. It's just that, like, you really have to n actually go out there and talk to people. It is the opposite. Of, you, there's no such thing as antisocial and successful in this game. So for everybody out no. there that's like, I'm antisocial, it's literally like saying you do not want to win in the game that requires you to yeah. know the right people. Right. Right. And so, I am antisocial in theory, but, like, I've had to get over myself and, like, learn how to talk to people and blah, 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 blah. But Yeah, man, because, I mean, this conversation would have never happened without that. You know what I'm saying? For, for one example. Facts. I mean, we, we, we're in two basic, totally different places in, in North America right now. Like, there is a, there's, there's some historical connection between us, but there ain't that much connection between where you are and where I'm at. Not really, no. But it required nah. you to somehow link up with Willie and then me to be there at that time showing love to Willie. And then I think Ismail or somebody else is like, you should interview this guy because somebody's always saying that now. And then why wouldn't I, right? It's easy for me to say uh, yes to that and book another slot. I don't, you know? Know who was, I don't know who was saying it about me, but but if I ever hear, ever get with somebody saying it about me, I would I would thank, thank them deeply because I don't... I 100% know somebody said... You were on Willie's show, and somebody said that, and I just said, okay. And that was that. Because <laughs> we were listening to your music, though. Like, there wasn't, like, the lack of context. We had just been bigging you up and shit, so it wasn't, like, completely contextless. It was that night that right. you fucking got your shit played on Willie's shit. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so like, that's how, that's how it works. That's it. That's the game. You have to go fucking be on people's channels and... Honestly, what you really do is you find a team of Ismails and then they do all the work for you in terms of promoting your shit because they just fucking want to see. Like, Ismail wants me to interview somebody. He'll, like, fucking reach out to the person, whether or not, whatever. I want you to be doing this interview. So he reached out to Napoleon the Legend, who's fucking brilliant in France and shit. And now, like, tentatively got to figure out that shit. Oh, Moose is on the kicking at Live Safer too. That's dope. Willie's here. Hey. Hey, yeah. cool. 
Hey, Ishmael, if you're listening out there, holla at your boy, man. It's not like we need to talk. Yeah, <laughs> I need to, I need to, like the uh, super fan of super fans. I need right. to be updated on technology, on this updated technology that nah. changes every life. Technology. Honestly, like, Ismail just likes cool shit. He's my cool shit in hip-hop barometer. If I want to find something, like, he's going to find some fucking channel with some drastically weird niche or talent pool that is just out there. I'll hire right. at you for social media. It's a big game. We all got to work together. That's what it is. It's really just about, yeah. like, us. Like, I'm a Twitch creator. You're on Twitch. Willie's on Twitch. Trying to get the next people's on Twitch. And then if we blend in the right combination of things. So I got this interview shit. This is really the behind the scenes of my life. Told through interviews with other people. If for like my mm-hmm. core of people who give a shit, you know. And then it's right. like I got the Crossroads Cypher on Tuesdays. So we run that. We get to rapidly raps off the domes and do our little shits, right? It's fucking fun. And for me, it was important that something I did, I got to rap on. Or like, what the fuck am I doing, right? And then, like, I just started writing songs live to fill, you know, extra streams in. And then, like, it's going to turn into, like, concerts. It's going to turn into a whole bunch. Yo, but then it's, like, walk to the park stream. So we just walked through the neighborhood to the park for, like, 35 minutes. Was it a hit? It was not a hit. It was not a hit. But you can do anything you want with it. It's it's the network that is your, you, your brand's network is your Twitch. Yeah, I, I understand the basic concept behind it. You know what I'm saying, and, and and hopefully I'll be able to make use of of this conversation right here towards towards some of my future things, and all. You know, I'm, it, it's just I guess it's just a matter of getting the intimate details. And to say that that it's non-algorithmistic and it's more active, yeah, it puts a slightly different mindset towards towards thinking about it. I'm, mm. I'm definitely cool with that. You also want definitely. to stand out more. You want to do hard shit. You want to do the hardest shit you can think to do because if you do hard shit people can't copy that shit super easy now you now you understand why my lyrical content goes the way it does yeah i fucked with your tracks nah like and all that like i really liked your music there was one track i hearted uh i can tell you in a second because i don't fucking remember the name right now i really liked madness from the moose that is my favorite song i heard from you i heard that shit i said i could re-listen to that shit like a motherfucker that is my favorite track that i heard and it's like really great the song crazy the crazy thing about that song first of all the the real secret is behind the everything that i've released for for modern streaming in the last couple of years with the exception of Moose's and the pole were all things that were that were like previously recorded. That's why the whole Anthony Anthonyology situation comes from because they were really anthologies. You know, I didn't want to use greatest hits and no shit like that because really nobody knew what they were per se. You know, but they, they all come from um, shit that kind of ties into something we was talking about earlier about how you know there's certain mixtapes and projects that if they haven't been documented and updated over time, they get lost. Well, this anthology was really a collection of of music from things that kind of got lost in the same sense as far as projects and things are concerned. So, madness is is contextually. I remember personally from the original project that is from and how it fits in contextually. So the way you're hearing it is slightly different from the way that I hear it because I remember the origination of it. But that wasn't my first forte into rock music per se it was my first forte into 
recording in that style and, and doing that song. And I definitely want to do it again because it reminds me more of like some of the bands I used to be in back in my twenties. Like the first band I was in in New Orleans was called the Reggae Ska Conspiracy. And I was the front man for that. So yeah, there was some rapping involved, but I spent a lot of time singing the specials and singing Bob Marley and singing some original stuff of which some of the original, some of the other songs that are in the anthology was some of that reggae sky conspiracy stuff. So madness is really a forte that I like and I want to do again because it right, reminds you a me. new metal track that I fucks with like I'm 12. Well, hey, I'm glad I produced that myself too. So <laughs> nah, it's, it's a it's a fun vibe. I like the diversity in your music. Mm. I wasn't as enthused with the nine minute jazz solo. <laughs> it, it wasn't unpleasant. Hey, it was very whelming. You you wasn't high enough for it. No, it's, it's <laughs> like jazz is one of those things where I did not like it, and then I sort of I'm, I'm open minded to it, but like it doesn't do for me what it does for a lot of other people. It's more like mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Like when I look at a painting. And I'm like, that has a lot of technique and shit, but I'm not feeling what I'm supposed to be feeling. And I feel like that yeah. with a lot of it. I have learned to get into the lot more hip hop oriented jazz shit over, over the years because repetition mm -hmm. will inevitably make you like anything you hate. That's the right. truth of a situation. But like without the vocals, without the right drum patterns, without the, you know, it's just free airy jazz is like it's not it's not bad it's not my cup of tea and i respect it i just would rather listen to shredding guitar and punk music if we're going down that route where it's more like chaotic or give me some fucking tool or something where we take it and go in that direction with it like those are just more and, of a preference level that was honestly and see what i like about what i like about european on it is that you know there's nothing wrong with it for, for those who don't know he's talking about the, the nine minute and 14 second song that I have in my discography is called Ethnic. And, and it's, it, yeah, it's really a groove. That's, that comes from my, my youth extended listening to album versions of Marvin Gaye songs and Funkadelic songs and, and, and listening to the full version of Isaac Hayes songs that usually lasted nine, 10, 12, 15 minutes per song. Cause that's just, they they used to just intoxicate what they intoxicated and just go forth with it. You know what I'm saying? And that's not even the jazz stuff. That's just the R and B stuff. You know what I'm saying? So that song really came from from that type of thing. But I'm glad you're saying it the way that you're saying it because in in essence, how ethnic would be an immediate tie in towards my my college years and the jazz music experience that I had or what may have, which is also why I have an entire jazz EP that, out there too, that ethnic probably should have been a part of, but whatever, arrangements. But Madness, going back to Madness. Oh, yo, it fit really well that, though. Hold on, just to give you your props on its creation or the placement, the way that it tied into the beat of the next two tracks made it just feel like really an extended mix that played out for the next, so it really was well placed. I don't want to take away from like that side of it. This is really just like, you know, like it's it's not it's not my favorite style, right? And I, and I get it, and there's no problem with it. But just to say that at the same time, for like madness or what may have you, I'm glad that you like that track, in a sense, because I remember where I was at the time period. That's that's my Nine Inch Nails, Perfect Circle, Saul Williams. Oh, I love it. And listening to music, that's where madness came from. 
Yeah. So you know, that's actually I can like empathize with more than like Isaac Hayes. <laughs> I, like, I've you never know. listened to an Isaac Hayes song outside of like maybe checking where a sample's from one time. Like I don't mm-hmm. have any connection to that. I have connection to a lot of different things. Um, and I feel like that also plays into your appreciation. So like for me, jazz was like an education. I had to go watch documentaries about why things were great. You have no idea how many videos I have watched where other people break down why this particular song's a banger or why that particular. And usually it's not hip hop because I want to know about other shit, right? Because like, <laughs> frankly, hip hop, I can go look at what I like and don't like. It's super easy for me to do that. But like to go look at like jazz music and find out why some fucking song i've never heard is timeless well that's curious to me and that taught me a lot about chords and the energies or like that like certain songs will have like effects used and limitations of 1970s technology and i'm like okay this is all really good now you're leaning more towards towards my side and, and thought process when it comes to music in general like like i this is why i said earlier when I discovered an artist, especially when I was younger, chances are I discovered that artist. And instead of going forward with them and for their future releases or their new album stuff, I went backwards and probably stayed backwards behind them for years and what may have you, you know, in reference to, you know, what, what they did and how they did. Cause I, I love history and I love the history of music. I love the history of sports, I love the history of humanities, you know? So would you, what you explained in reference to a jazz happened to me just about the exact same way. Because going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, I grew up in a small town that was just far enough from New Orleans to not be every day affected by New Orleans. See, New Iberia doesn't, it now has somewhat, maybe a small little angle of jazz, but not as much as you would stereotypically think a city in South Louisiana would have when you stereotypically think of jazz in Louisiana. You know, it really truly is the majority of stuff when it comes to jazz is in New Orleans, what may have you. And that two hours makes all the difference in the world traveling wise. It amazes me because I've been driving the route since I was 15 years old. Um, so, taking that two hour trip to college and studying jazz and class and trying to get more into music because New Orleans had that musical reputation. Yeah, everything that you're going through right now is for the most part, basically what I had to go through with, you know, learning Miles Davis and John Coltrane and, and Cannonball Adderley and Herbie Hancock. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that, that's the stuff, that's the stuff. It, it's basically the equivalent of, of some 18 year old kid today learning about LL and Rakim and Kumo D and, you know. Yeah, I was also doing that too. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's really the same, it's the same exact thing. But the fact, and leading back to the song again, I would never have a problem with you not feeling ethnic because of the correct contextual way you explained yourself that led you to that conclusion. I will I will never have a problem with you saying it about that or any one of my songs as long as you have that type of explanation behind it. You know what I'm saying? I, I get it. I can see a, that and hell, we can talk we can talk a long time of getting bashed on the internet to be able to learn how to explain things. I got beat up. I used to get beat up on the internet. My comment before the YouTube changed their policy and people could be mean. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, people were mean, mean. 
and they would like not like what, what I was saying. And after a while, when people are shitting on your fucking shitty opinions, you start to like want to combat the comments in a way. So you start to educate yourself, and you start to like learn how to better express your ideas. You start to learn how to, and then you start dealing with rappers a lot. So imagine you talk to rappers a lot. Now you got to learn how to express ideas, everything in ways that don't step on toes and. I don't think it's a simple task to express why you like or dislike something. I don't think we're taught that toolkit in society. And it's one of those ones I spent a long time learning. So I'm able to... Context. Context. That's another, that's a, that's another foundation of Lucism, the concept of context. People people can, can, can say they don't, they like or don't like something but hardly know how to explain it in a way to at least the person who they're explaining it to. While the person who they're explaining it to may or may not agree with what they're saying, they can at least relate to what the person's saying, you know? And a lot of people are missing out on being able to do that contextually, bro. I like to Google what words mean though. So I'm like pretty okay. But like I said, I wasn't always good with it. It was like I went online and I talked about what I liked and disliked in music to super fans. You got to understand when you're doing an album review that's like an hour, the only people that click on that shit are people who really fucking love that shit. <laughs> so imagine me for like a year being an arrogant little shithead on the internet in my late 20s. and like, fuck all of y'all. I can do what I want. And then I got so many comments. But, you know, through the process, people explain shit. And then you can't help it. You, you start learning, and it's that, and you realize that you're kind of ignorant sounding. And then, yeah, I don't think a lot of people understand how to ask for feedback. So, like, what do you think is a terrible question if you really want to know how somebody feels, which is what you really want to know when somebody hears your song? People don't. People don't want to know. People don't want to know. I'm talking about average people when you're asking Dude, that they question. They just want to be comfortable and say, huh? I think so, that when you ask your fans or people, what you really should be asking people is how they feel when they hear your song, because they're not going to be able to use the language to communicate to a person who makes music and person who does like, there's a bit, they can't have the same conversation. And even right. amongst artists, my creative process and yours might be so vastly different that like, is it a great question or is maybe uh -huh. how do you feel when you hear this song a better question? Um, that's my new like question hearing, personally. <laughs> yeah, like it's 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 a good question, man. It's 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 the concept of I'm I'm at the point in my career, bro, in reference towards branding and what may have I hope this answers the question. That that I'm I'm just trying to get people to react to the things I present. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know how many people going to end up viewing this conversation, this interview, what may have you. And me and you both, for multiple reasons, hope that hundreds upon hundreds of people watch this shit for, mm -hmm. for obvious upfront surface level reasons. But but at well, the same time, reference towards anything that I do, you know, I just want people to be able to react to it. And, and reacting is really the, the, the key thing for it towards me because reacting leads to, to thinking. And thinking leads towards decisions and thoughts and ideas. It kind of goes into like things that we've given each other here in this conversation. That's for examples that we've realized over time. You know, yeah. so you know, just the fact that you 
reacted, for example, to my music and and let's say before last month or a month before we wouldn't have known each other from Adam and Eve, you know, is is really truly the blessing towards it. So I'm hoping in hopes that there's somebody else who's listening to this conversation right now, whether or not you invite them, I invite them, Ismail invited them, Willie invited them, or whatever, or they just stumbled in on it in the world of Twitch that that gets a reaction to the things that we're saying and then turn around and wants to have a reaction towards what you do in reference towards this product, what I do in reference towards my products and my music. And therein is another person that that reacts in a certain way. And it helps move the situation, it moves the branding, it moves the music forward. Facts. Plus there's all the off-camera networking that happens after these conversations when the right people talk. That's all I'm saying. That stuff happens too. But there's also the after the fact, right? Like this will become an edited YouTube video where like the one two thing gets clipped out, the intro part with your copyright autobot shit that will destroy my videos, monetization gets taken away. And then we put it on YouTube and then we make a few clips. And yeah. you know what? I think that my view counts are gonna be fucking garbage for like a while and I know why and I it's all behind the scenes shit, but we put like that much effort into promo right now. Because to me, promo comes at a certain time, and I've spent the last eight, nine months thinking about marketing. And once my marketing's on lock, I'm moving to promo. You know, like my marketing's almost on lock. I'm almost happy with where my brand is at in terms of a concept, in terms of the universe that I'm building and shit. So I don't think it's going to get a lot of views today. I think uh, if we live our lives the way that we're supposed to live our lives as we journey on, what this is is a piece of evergreen content that a person at any time in history can consume if they're ever curious about Moose Harris from now to the end of time. And I think it's a lot of cool shit. And it's like we can all look back on this and it will get views when the time comes rather than worrying about... You know, the fact that like seven to eight people have sat here for like two and a half fucking hours or whatever it's been. <laughs> right. Like to me... Like those are real. Those are different metrics. People don't understand metrics, which is a lot. A lot. Why a lot of people make bad choices, unfortunately. I think with their um career, I got eight thousand views one time in a day on a Busta Rhymes album review. This album review is an hour and forty-five minutes long or some bullshit. That's how I did it. I accidentally landed first page Google when people were looking for it. They watched for forty-eight seconds, dude. Eight thousand views with a watch time of forty-eight seconds. Damn. But all you see is 8,000 views. 8,000 views. I see a 48-second watch time and go, why did I make this piece of content for the $24 I got? You right. Know, like, why did you spend almost two hours but like, of, almost spend two hours of your, of your day and your time and well, whatever yeah. else? But like, from a metric I, perception. I, I obviously. But so like, by the reference... Um, I, and I know that there's like in that my average 20, 30 people that might give a shit. It was just this, but it gave me such perspective to how fucking useless views are and how useless like, subscribers are also kind of useless. Like, let's be real. I have 2,500 fucking subscribers and I swear if I put out a video, it gets like 30 views, maybe it gets a hundred. So subscribers are fucking useless. No offense to any of my subscribers. No, 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 no offense to any of y'all. Because feel free like, to it is what it is. But too. like, it's just to explain the relationships between numbers. Subscribers is just how long you've been doing something. It goes up. Facts. Engaged users is such a different metric. And because I came into Twitch fresh, it put me into this perspective where 
like I'm able to look I you know people go up and down you can kind of gauge which parts of the conversation are better or worse which parts are interesting and you get people commenting and reacting in real time and it's like yo this live numbers are completely different who the fuck cares how many views it gets how many people engaged with the content and it meant something to them yeah. that you can measure in yeah. some meaningful way so it's like when you change the valuation of the metrics that you care about, right? Like all of a sudden the context changes and it's more about finding a small number of really invested people than it is about like any real chase or thirst for views for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, as far as, as far as everything that I do, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the views because it's, it's kind of like, I'm not I'm not far ahead of you in reference towards in reference towards marketing things and what may have you. Um, what I the main reason why I want the views per se in a given time period is to be able to use towards, you know, potential sponsors or people that may want to advertise or even, you know, booking people to show them that it's that it's a worthwhile product to be on. You know what I'm saying? So in a sense you know, those numbers as far as evidence and receipts or what may have you are, are helpful. But I also understand where you're coming from where where, you know, I think I think for my radio show, Urban Flusaurus, whenever I used to go on when I still go on Facebook Live every now and then. But when I used to have it like twice a week specifically because I was on the air at a radio station here in Lafayette. I think the biggest amount of views I got on Facebook for Facebook Live was somewhere between like 2,500, 3,000 views for one specific video. Fuck, now, I don't think, I don't think, now, great. You know, there's sometimes where I might have only had 100 or 200 or 300 or a few hundred, but yeah, there's been times where I can say I've gotten the four figures a few times where I've stored views live or whatever. I don't know how long those views were. I don't know if the average person, you know, clicked on it just long enough for it to rush there and really wasn't paying attention or it was somebody who watched the whole entire show and, and interacted. But on one hand, I can go to a business sometime in the future or, or even another radio station and and be like, because I used to keep track during that year of the exact number of views I had. As those views numbers changed later on in the week or the following week or following months, I would put all that in my notes on my phone. So there was a year where I could legitimately say I had like 80 to 100,000 views of my radio shows in a, in a given calendar year. Now, I don't know if that, once again, I don't know if that's people that just clicked there for five seconds or five minutes or was there for the entire show. But at least I can use that information towards communicating and negotiating with another entity contextually and saying, hey, regardless of how long they're actually viewing, I got these 80, 90,000 visual video the thing is this videos have a number of views let's do something live viewers is so different than views so live viewers is a stat that is very if you have 4000 live viewers you're worth fucking money even if they only show up for a fucking oh, yeah. minute because it's 4000 people that were on your shit at the same time holy shit that's a flex whereas 4000 views is over the course of history at some point in time, 4,000 people clicked on it, which is not the same thing as getting 4,000 eyes on a singular piece of content. I mean, it's not the same thing per se, but I'll be honest when I tell you that I will take either one of them. Like, I, I don't have a in the long game. That's kind of like, that's no, kind of like that how flex I... That you hit 4,000 fucking live viewers is sponsorship money. 
you know, I feel you on that, and but I also understand. I also understand the combination of of, of balancing both. You know what I'm saying? Um, I would love to have four thousand views. I would love to have four thousand views right now between me and you. Honestly, I would love to have four thousand views right the second four thousand people watching the shit. But for me, if if a month from now it takes another month, two months or whatever for this particular conversation to get up to four thousand views. I ain't got a problem with that because I don't have too many other interviews that have that type of number anyway. So that seems nah, to be like I a form of post for me. No, for real, like these kinds of numbers. But I know I'm the majority of the summer sharing this video. I don't even get 4,000 views. To be honest with you, I'm not even getting that lately. It's like really fucking terrible numbers. It's like fucking double digits for most people. I'm like, damn. So it's like, uh, I feel like over time it'll turn into like fucking 10,000 views. But like, it's just a matter of interest. And how do you get people to become interested in things is basically the next challenge in my life. But then when people become interested, all of a sudden... It's a pitch too, man. It, it comes down... It, it, there's, there's no magic formula as to what attracts people to paying attention to something at a given time. You know, so I, I, wish, I wish I had the idea as I'm starting to move while I do this, I wish I had the idea for it, but I don't. <laughs> I've been working on stuff. I think there's ways to take the combination of all these conversations and turn them into something. If you have to go, though, we can end it if you want. Yeah, I think things are, things are, things are shutting down on the portrait side, so they just want to make sure that I, you know, I packed up and was at least prepared to roll out what they did. You know, that's, that's basically it. Otherwise... I guess I just keep rambling, but we've been at this for almost three hours anyway, so. Yeah, I appreciate it. You're one of those guys where if it was another context, I would have just ran it to like another hour easy. But with your current oh, yeah. like moving situation, uh, we can always set one up in the future if you want. Um, hey man, you you just you just let me know anything that that you'd want to interact with, bro. You you definitely right. proven you definitely proven that that you're real from the culture on on uh on a beyond just a rapper basis because we all know what that 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 simple rapper basis level could be like you know and and you've obviously shown you've obviously shown that that you're beyond that and anybody who has any type of of mindset towards being beyond that and in, in some shape way or form i want to interact with because i have a very bad habit and it's another one of my main moosism is that i have a very bad habit of trying to make money and discover some happiness through through associates and friends and you're falling into that slowly but surely i mean that's what my life has become is i'm trying to find people i want to make money with because i thought to myself what happens if i become rich right now i don't think the people in my present for the most part would like me if i was rich and i need to find people to get rich with so that that journey yeah. is not fucking lonely and then you're depressed yeah. and doing cocaine with a lot of bad situations trying to escape see i don't i don't fuck with that johnson johnson at all so you ain't gotta worry about that with me no no what i mean is though it's like the fast descent to loneliness seems to be what fucks up a lot of people so i'd rather that like hustle that involves people that rise with me that sounds like the best version yeah. of it but yeah if we got to wrap up though we should probably do it right so i appreciate all of you for watching that are in the live that have been here thank you for that but thank you moose harris uh your stuff's been linking the whole way through it uh everybody uh, let me go make i didn't even think i put your twitch that was a blunder on my end but i linked all your other shit your instagram 
And we're going to put that all below in the video in the YouTube for the people that make it this far at the end. Shout out to you for watching a lot of this video. Um, awesome. Definitely make sure to like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, do you have any like closing words you want to say to the folk out there? Uh, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. Um, if you've listened to this, this far, I appreciate it. Follow me wherever it's at. You have music and you want another outlet towards get it out there, then holler at me about it. Urban.flowsaurus at gmail.com. You can probably put that in somewhere too um, to send me music and things of that nature. And I'm always looking to interact with people and and just have, you know, good times and stuff. So, you know, that, that's it. <laughs> Awesome. I appreciate you, Moose Harris. I'm going to send you my current mixtape in MP3 format just so you see what you think of it. Because why the fuck not? I dropped that shit yesterday, so if anyone cares. Um, anyway, appreciate y'all. Special <laughs> thanks to the Patreons. Ismail Gaddafi, Chris Prada, Jonathan Vars, EJ Blackheart, and the No Blame Scribble. Dope support we do. Patreon.com slash behind that suit. On that note, it's been a fucking pleasure. Live long and prosper, everyone. We're going to start the...